Salutations. Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez, joined as always by my co-host, my husband, and my brother. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. Hi, I'm Travis Hunter. This week, we're recording live from our table at Dorcia to discuss the 2000 black comedy horror film, American Psycho. This film was directed by Mary Heron with a screenplay by Heron and Guinevere Turner based on the novel by Brett Easton Ellis. American Psycho is incredibly polarizing, being called everything from brilliant to a misogynistic mess. Although it is very toned down from its source material, this film is criticized for its depiction of sex and violence. Despite this, many hail American Psycho as a modern classic for its satirical look at status and consumerism, due in large part to an unforgettable performance by Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman. This film was recommended to us by friend of the show and Wendigo getter Kimberly Bass. We want to thank Kimberly not only for her suggestion, but for being a great friend to us. Thank you for your support and for being with us for so long. So what did you guys think of American Psycho the first time you saw it? I remember seeing this movie a long time ago and I loved it Mm -hmm. because it was fucking hilarious. (laughs) Um, Watching it for the show, I still love it and it's still very funny. (laughs) No, I do notice a lot of things now being a little more mature and grown up and um but it i i do enjoy the shit out of this movie like i really really do like this movie did you see it when it first came out right so you were uh, what like 16 um, is that in my math correct I, uh, and my math and my math <laughs> <laughs> well my english is not correct uh, <laughs> yes no uh 17 uh-huh. but yeah same shit yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah, I remember watching it and I was like, I was like, oh, this is fucking great and I love this. <laughs> and then not really understanding what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but watching it as a grown up, I was like, oh, okay. I <laughs> I see now. Yeah. Because I had watched it other times too, but I just watched it for what it was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, this is just hilarious. There's a bunch of guys acting stupid, doing dumb shit, <laughs> saying dumb shit they shouldn't be saying, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but then watching it now and I'm like, oh, wow. I was like this. I, I should have not enjoyed this so much. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, I kind of came across the same realization. Yeah. Because I think we watched it. I don't remember how old we were. We were too all young. I, I was yeah. going to say all I know is we were too fucking young. Absolutely. Way too yeah. young. And, uh, so young, in fact, that I don't even really think I got it at all. Yeah. No. I think <laughs> I got that I probably shouldn't be seeing right, it. Right, right. And for me, you know, as a kid, I, I that's think... All, yeah. That's it. That's all yeah. it takes. And so you like it because you're not supposed to even be watching it. Right, right. But I think that I loved it then, but I didn't appreciate it because I couldn't understand it. Right. But now it's like a completely different thing. I just think it's genuinely so good. Oh, yeah. And there's like moments that I consider like silently frightening. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That I didn't catch as a kid. But as JP said, there are other moments that are just goddamn hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Like this is one of the most like this is one of the funniest horror movies I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And I it, is it meant to be that way? I or? would assume because I think it's, it is. it's right? so yeah. funny. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I will say that when I saw it when I was younger, I did not get. I mean, I know there are some parts that's funny. I know the the raincoat. Right. There right, are right. memeable moments, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize how intentionally funny a lot of this yeah. is, and how fucking ridiculous Patrick Bateman is. Yes. I definitely did not. <laughs> I mean, I think I just saw this as like a straight horror film, right? And right. this is like. Obviously, we haven't gotten into the story or anything yet, but this is just this person that does this horrible shit. Mm-hmm. But. I, and I, I'll also say 
the ambiguous ending. Yeah. I didn't that completely fucking yeah. went over my oh, head. No, yeah. It's like don't don't be don't be watching this as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say that. Um but I loved it then and like you said T that was probably in large part too. There's naked people in this yeah. and fucking a chainsaw. You yeah. know what I mean? Like well, I shouldn't be watching any of this, but I'm having fun. Right. So I love this. Yeah. yeah. Now that I'm older and I have read the book, which we'll talk about. If you think this is bad. (laughs) I didn't have the time to spare. Holy shit. I had wanted to, but turn the sex, the violence, the racism, the Mm. misogyny and the homophobia to a 12. Wow. I would say, um, it's disgusting. Uh huh. And boring. (laughs) (laughs) I know that sounds ridiculous, but you'll get a chapter of him having a threesome and he will describe every single second of it. Mm -hmm. And then in one paragraph, they're all having fun. And in the next there's blood and he's running and you don't know what the fuck happened. And so you're like, Whoa, this is crazy. And then the next chapter is a boring ass night out with his friends. Uh And they're arguing about, if um you know tie clips are in or not mm. that's the whole chapter well they're definitely not and then yeah. <laughs> and then you get a chapter on whitney houston literally right. like six pages on fucking whitney houston well, and i mean was it co-written by wikipedia yeah. right <laughs> it's just and i understand why it needs to be that way and that that is the brilliance of it because we do get voiceovers in this film of that but it's streamlined in a way that it's palatable mm-hmm in the novel, it's first person. Although sometimes he'll be like, I did this, I did that. And Patrick said, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, you're stuck in that. You're right. stuck itemizing every label of this, whoever he's talking to. We mm-hmm. got to know what his, t- who his tie is from mm-hmm. the jacket, the shirt, where did he get his haircut? Where his got like, it is exhausting. I'm like, right. I would be fucked up too. If, if this was my thought process, <laughs> yeah. like, I think that's one thing that always confused me. Because I did read in The Guardian that whenever the novel came out, it was protested. Right, right. People were breaking into oh, yeah. bookstores. He, he got death threats. He got death threats. They were like pouring like fake blood on copies of the book uh-huh. and like just fucking everybody. Not everybody. That's a lie. Yeah. Every single everybody hated it. <laughs> no. A lot of people hated it. You know, a lot of people said it was, you know, all these critical fucking piss rippings written about it right and then you get the movie and then you have kind of seemingly a similar reaction to the film but the thing about the film is that watching it with the mindset i guess of myself right now Mm -hmm. it's not that shocking no it's not that like there's nothing that you see that you're like oh my god yeah like it's not you know i noticed that kind of watching it critically this time around a lot of the times where there is violence happening it kind of cuts away and yeah. then you see the aftermath yeah. of yeah. it. That's the thing. But you don't actually see the vibe. And I never noticed that obviously when I was younger, because it's just like a bunch of fucked yeah, up shit yeah. happening or even as an adult until I was watching it this time. And I'm like, you know, they really don't show yeah, much of the actual violence happening. Mm-hmm. You don't really see a lot of it. Well, it's like I said on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode, episode 20. Um, <laughs> it's the pornographic versus erotic where yeah. erotic is the feather and pornographic is the entire chicken. The laughing chicken. It yeah. sounds. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the novel's the laughing chicken, right. Right. <laughs> and the film's the feather. It is. It is. It's incredibly graphic, and not just the the sex scenes. The torture is a lot. And I'm, I'm. I've said it before. Incredibly desensitized. But there's there were a couple things where I'm like, ooh, like oh. I mean, just 
reading it or if you're doing an audio listening to it it's just like fuck dude like we're in you i, I mean there's cannibalism uh-huh which i know is uh kind of alluded to in this but mm-hmm. we don't in one line yeah. yeah 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 and i i have something interesting to say about that when we get there but um yeah there's a scene with uh <clears throat> a rat that if you've read the book you know what i'm talking about it's fucked do they make like does he get into patrick bateman's hat and they make food together <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what happened. i think wow. i'm gonna love yeah. this book <laughs> now before we criticize this film's outfit we would like to issue a warning for spoilers Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast and in thoroughly discussing horror films we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two if you don't wish to be spoiled please go watch the film then come back and enjoy the show if you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's return some videotapes. The film opens with credits, black words against a white background as drops of red fall around them. We get the title card, American Psycho, as the red lands next to it. The red drizzles in a pattern before a knife chops up meat. And we see, oh, it's not, it's not blood. <laughs> I was sufficiently tricked. Oh, yeah. 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 I thought it was blood. I did hear on commentary that this opening was like a last minute idea. They were already editing the film. Oh, wow. It fits. Yes. Perfectly, right. I think. You've got this like high class situation mm-hmm. and then these kind of dark undertones. Right. Yeah. I mean, could you describe this Yeah, no better? shit. <laughs> but raspberries fall into view and it's finally revealed that it's not anything morbid. It's just a beautiful meal. The plate is lifted and set on a table next to other carefully crafted. These are like, you know, the drizzle on the plate right. and the mm-hmm. fucking, these, it's bougie. I've never eaten food like that. No. <laughs> but I do admire it on TV. Yes, quite often. Waiter number one, played by Blair Williams, and waiter number two, played by Ruben Thompson, recite very fancy sounding specials to a very 1980s hip looking group of people <laughs> until we finally land on a table. Patrick Bateman, played by Christian Bale, sits with Timothy Bryce, played by Justin Thoreau, and Craig McDermott, played by Josh Lucas. Bryce laments that he hates this restaurant, wishing they were at Dorcia instead. When McDermott thinks he spots someone named Reed Robinson, Bryce tells him that's not Reed, that's Paul Allen. But Patrick corrects both of them. Paul Allen is actually sitting across the room. So, I mean, we're already... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's only going to get more... Yeah. They all look the fucking same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel same like vibe. Yeah. it's such an important thing in the movie Yes, that whenever you see these people, it's again, we talk about conformity. Right. Mm-hmm. We talk about uniformity and I guess their desire for this certain kind of life. Right. And so it all just fits, even though it's really ridiculous yeah. <laughs> to a certain it's, point. It's absurd. But their fourth, David Van Patten, played by Bill Sage, joins them, complaining that this restaurant doesn't even have a good bathroom to do cocaine in. That sucks. <laughs> right. Bummer, dude. Just do it on the table. Nobody's going to notice. <laughs> it's the Not 80s. Here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and as busy as they are, nobody would probably notice anyway. No. Like, honestly. And what constitutes a good bathroom to do coke in? Uh, if there's not a thing for the toilet paper, like uh-huh. sticking out, if it's in the wall. You're fucked. So yeah. There's no shelf for you to. Shelf. The, the more you know. Yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> the star went right. <laughs> they continue to debate on whether the man they're looking at is actually Paul Allen. And when McDermott says that Paul Allen is handling the Fisher account, Bryce calls him a lucky bastard. When McDermott calls Paul Allen a Jew, Patrick finally chimes in, asking what that has to do with anything. 
McDermott continues to ignorantly make fun of Paul Allen for being Jewish, and Patrick corrects him and tells him to chill out with the anti-Semitism. This surprised me. Yes. Because of what we see from Patrick Bateman yes. later. Right. I'm like, he's checking you on your shit. Yeah. And I, I, as I said, the novel is much more, I mean, incredibly racist. Right. No matter what race or nationality you belong to, it's rated E for everyone. You're yeah. going to be fucking offended. It's awful. And he still says this in the novel. Really? Yeah. He's like, hey, chill with the anti-Semitism. Well, I mean, come on, I dude. guess everybody has a line. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't hey, know. I mean, we're obviously glad to see him say this. Yeah. Once. This one. Yeah. This one time. Patrick gets one. Finally yeah. being, you know, he's on the right side of history once. Right. <laughs> but it's interesting to me because of everything we see him exhibit later. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but yes, I would like some latkes. You fucking asshole. I know. I was like, why are you saying that derogatory? Yeah, I didn't understand. I was we like, Come fucking on. love latkes in this house. Yeah. I was, I don't like this guy already. No, I don't like any of them. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> they're all disgusting. Yeah, his friends are not the greatest. No. No, they're racist and they hate women and, and they're then they were they were homophobic at like one of the first lines in the film is homophobic. Yeah. No, oh, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's so <laughs> it's awful. Like yeah. it's bad. Yeah. McDermott attributes the stand against racism to Patrick dating someone from the ACLU. The bill comes a reasonable $570 and the four men place their identical credit cards down on the table. That was another thing. I was like, they're all the same. Yeah. yeah. Later, they slip a $50 bill to the bouncer and are let into a club. Inside, True Faith by New Order blasts and the 80s dancing and fashions are... Absolutely everything. I can't stress it enough. Bryce in particular is busting out yeah. some dance moves. <laughs> it's a lot. That were noteworthy. <laughs> I feel like they did a good job of capturing this era. Yeah. And I mean, it feels oddly lived in. Yeah. I read that the majority of the budget went to music. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it was, I mean, I think money well spent. Right. Because I not only does it set the atmosphere, it just really like submerges <laughs> oh god <laughs> well i know i told you when i finished watching it uh i was like i feel like i'm nine years old uh -huh. I was yeah. like i that is what i was listening to that's what was on the radio or what was playing from the speakers of my mom's radio or my brothers or what i was like that's real shit yeah i was like that's exactly what we were listening to <laughs> I know they had said that they had a lot of trouble securing the rights to a lot of the music. Oh, I bet. I guess like a lot. And it's the same with like whenever they get into the products and the clothing. Right. Yes. A lot of people did not want to be associated with this movie. Right. Yeah. I have some specific examples later. And another example of a song that they were not given permission to use that they found a way to still kind uh, of use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's honestly genius. I mean, it is. But Patrick tries to buy a drink at the bar with his card, but the bartender, played by Kelly Heron, tells him that his card's no good here. This is a cash bar. And yes, Kelly Heron. Yeah. She, she's I, the director's sister. Very right. cool. Nice. So Patrick hands over the cash with a smile, but when the bartender turns to get his drinks and his change, he tells her that she's a fucking ugly bitch. He wants to stab her to death and play around with her blood. But he's all smiles when she turns around right. and gives him the drinks and the change. So for me, I was like, this is the first taste of yikes because. <laughs> yeah. Like I and this is what I'm saying, because he was calling them on their bullshit at the restaurant. Right. And then now he's threatening to murder a woman in, <laughs> in the club. Yeah. But for, the thing for something that has nothing not, to do with her. Yeah. <laughs> 
the thing well, for me is that it, it kind of there's like an ambiguous situation that we'll talk about later right but in this moment i don't know if she didn't hear him because new order was so loud right, that's right, what yeah. that's what i think or, i mean that's what at this point you think you know yeah there's an odd editing around a lot of his horrible shit mm-hmm. that feels like non-reality right yes. but i don't know yeah yeah so you're saying you don't think bad things when you're, <laughs> I, when you're at the yeah, club or anywhere? I, I don't know about you, but I always have a dialogue going on in my head. Oh, sometimes. I thought you were talking about Patrick. No, I mean. Oh, no. I work with the fucking oh, public. Well, yeah, I'm constant. Are you yeah. fucking kidding I'm me? I'm just saying. Because I, I, yeah, he's. Uh, he didn't have to say that in his head to no. her or say it to her. And, but I mean. I'm not going to lie and say that I've never sat there and been like, God damn, why are you motherfuckers taking forever? <laughs> well, oh, yeah. no, of but, course. Yeah. Of course. I, I think he lost me at play around with your blood. <laughs> I, oh. I feel like stabbing to death was oh. a little overboard. <laughs> well, oh, that's, that's where you draw the line. <laughs> Good to know. Right? Never mind. So we cut to Patrick's very white and minimalist apartment in the American Gardens building. We get a voiceover of Patrick telling us that his name is Patrick Bateman and he's 27 years old. Which was a whole ass adult when I yeah. first saw this, but <laughs> I I'm like, he's only fucking 27. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of I was like, you're not 27, <laughs> dude, but okay. The the crazy thing that I found out is I think Christian Bale was 25 when they filmed this. Wow, yeah. get a full me. Yeah. yeah, if he said he was like 33, I'd be like, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> it's like 25 just hit different, yeah. I guess. I don't know, but. As a young teen watching, I was like, he's so old. But now I'm like, okay, calm down. Okay, infant. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But he pees and tells us that he believes in taking care of himself with a good diet and exercise routine. If his face is puffy in the morning, he puts on an ice mask while he does his crunches. By the way, he's up to a thousand crunches now. Good job. Yeah. Great. I did read that Christian Bale did this exact morning routine the whole time they were filming. Mm -hmm. I can't. Dude, can I... I his wouldn't be able great. to stand up. His oh, yeah. skin is phenomenal. Well, so it works. <laughs> I mean, I guess a thousand crunches a day and then you got to fucking go to work. Well. <laughs> That's insane. I, I would do like 10 and then if someone walked in, I'd be like 998. <laughs> <laughs> 1000. All right, Ooh. let's go. Let's go film. That's a new record. <laughs> yeah. But he exercises. And as we watch him shower, he tells us about his deep pore cleanser lotion that he uses when he takes the ice pack off. He uses a water-activated gel cleanser and an almond scrub, but an exfoliating gel scrub on his face. We watch him do his skincare, an herbal mint facial mask. While that's on his face for 10 minutes, he does the rest of his routine. An aftershave lotion with no alcohol because alcohol dries your face out and makes you look old. Then he uses a moisturizer and an eye balm, then a moisturizing protective lotion. He peels his mask off and tells us that there's an abstract idea of Patrick Bateman, but there's no real him. He says that he can hide his cold gaze. And when you shake his hand, you can feel his flesh. You may even think your lifestyle is comparable to his, but he is simply not there. So just a little interesting note. Mm -hmm. Mary Heron said that the mask peel was done on the first take. Nice. It's perfect. It's perfect. (laughs) I've never been able to do it like that. I even thought too, I was like, I wonder how many times they had to do that. I was like, because he, he, there's a couple of times it's like, oh, it's going to tear. And 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 it it doesn't. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. And honestly, as he's listing all of his shit, I was like, am I supposed to be doing all this? Yeah. (laughs) I I was like, what time are you waking up to do this? Yeah, no shit. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. When you're rolling into work yeah, at like no. 1 p.m. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Damn. honestly, probably. Yeah, that's yeah. true. 
Um, I thought now we could talk about his casting as Patrick Bateman mm-hmm. or casting in general. For sure. I read now this is kind of demonstrating how long it takes for films to reach the screen when they're adaptations sometimes mm-hmm. because the rights to this film were bought in 1992. Mm-hmm. And then this film obviously came out in 2000. Yeah. Right. And so in that time, it goes through a lot of people. Yeah. At one point, I think Stuart Gordon was involved and it was possibly going to star Johnny Depp. Yeah. <laughs> and then it keeps like moving through all these different people. It would have sucked. <laughs> well, uh, we're talking about 2000 Johnny Depp. Okay. Well, we're talking about okay. 1992, oh, 1992 Johnny Depp. Uh, Johnny Depp. I, I just don't care. I don't, care. I don't even I don't know if he was see, Edward Scissorhands. Uh, I, I don't see him working on Wall Street. No. But I, I don't <laughs> But the thing was, is that it kept going through all these people. There were talks of possibly Stanley Kubrick wanting to do it, Ooh, like tons of wow. people. But then it ends up with Mary Heron, right? Because they were really impressed by a movie she made called "I Shot Andy Warhol." Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And so they have her, and then behind her back, Lionsgate goes because she wants Christian Bale. Yeah. But they go and they start talking to Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> And the thing about that is that the film was already low budgeted. Right. But then if they bring him on, they gave him an offer, according to The Guardian. His salary alone was going to be $20 million. God Fucking damn. Hell. Yeah. Well, because Christian Bale at this point, this skyrocketed him. He was really. He's, yeah. He's not Terrence Howard. Or not, <laughs> oh, no. no. Uh, Bringing up this uh, Iron no. Man bullshit. Fuck that. Right? <laughs> but he was interested and they were surprised because he's like this teen heartthrob at the yeah. time. Right. They're like, what the fuck, dude? That's probably oh, why he man. was interested. Because it's something different. Yeah. yeah. But then Mary Heron's like, you know, you went behind my back with this shit. So if you want him, I'm leaving. And so she did leave. Yeah. And they get Oliver Stone to direct. And then things just don't work out creatively. Well. <laughs> and they finally bring back Mary Heron. And the good, the thing that I love about Christian Bale is that he never let up. Yeah. Like for nine months, he didn't take any acting roles because he's like, they're going to drop yeah. out. <laughs> and, he wanted it and so And I will bad. be Patrick well. Bateman. And so it, luckily it finally worked out. And the funny thing is, this is like a really hilarious uh-huh. side story, but... One of the people that protested the novel and the film being made was Gloria Steinem because of like the horrible acts of course, yeah. know, right. against women. But the thing is, is that she, according to a lot of sources, talked to Leonardo DiCaprio to get him to drop the film. And the funny thing is she started dating a man named David Bale. And then oh she God. would go on to marry him and become Christian Bale's stepmother. Wow. Oh <laughs> so it's just the craziest. What the fuck? I didn't I know that that was any his functions. stepmom. Yeah. Like, right. yeah like, <laughs> just hide your face. Yeah. You're the black sheep now. But yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting because when Oliver Stone was at the helm, he obviously cast everybody. Right. And I'm, I don't want to give anything away now, I guess. But as I introduce them, I can say who Oliver Stone maybe right, right. had cast them as right on because mary heron when she came back on board only kept one person (laughs) and (laughs) christian bale was such i guess a gamble because he wasn't a big name i mean obviously look at these people who they're approaching they want somebody big um they told her i guess before they went behind her back Uh that she could have christian bale if she hired two big names and so that's why reese witherspoon and willem dafoe Mm -hmm. are in this (laughs) that was the compromise right i guess i love Leo, I don't think he, this would have been the same movie at no, all. No, especially like younger yeah, Leo. There's well, no way. This was, I mean, it, 
it was also offered to Keanu Reeves. No, no way, um, not at all. And it was also offered to Ewan McGregor. No, who was very interested, but Christian Bale personally was like, "Please don't fucking take this." <laughs> Dude, I, I think the I think for me the problem is they're all wonderful actors. Yeah, absolutely. But fucking Christian Bale brings something that is makes this character. Believable. Yes. I feel like, like it, when they're like, it was always meant to be Ben. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was always yeah. it was always gonna be him. It as, always should have been him. As I'm watching this, there are moments literally where <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I don't think there's ever been a better actor than Christian Bale. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> he brings such a nuance. Yeah. There's something that this character could very easily become a caricature. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. She yeah. even said that with some of the comedic moments that are done in this film, if it was a lesser actor, she said this would and I don't know if she meant any offense by it. He's really fucking weird now, but she was like, it would just be a Jim Carrey film. Oh. You know Well, Jim Carrey for a long time was the comedy typecast. Just he's gonna be funny. He's always gonna be yeah. silly. Yeah. He's always gonna be over the top. And it's I feel like if that's what I'm saying, if it was anyone else, it would have been a completely different movie. Mm -hmm. I just can't like thinking of those people and obviously you McGregor said no because Christian Bale basically begged him not to. <laughs> please, 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 please. <laughs> when it was in in talks in the early nineties, it was David Cronenberg that was yes, attached to it. That was the other one. And his Patrick Bateman was Brad Pitt. You want to know the funny story about Cronenberg's version of the film? The screenplay was written by the author of the book. Yeah. Right. And it ended with a musical sequence on top of Shut the World the Trade Center. Up. And I believe the song was Daybreak by Barry Manilow. <laughs> <laughs> Who's so, singing? Sure. Patrick? It's people around him. Oh, no. And this no, is, no. keep in mind, this is the fucking writer of the book that wrote that. And so he's like, I didn't even know what the fuck I was talking about with that. So, I mean, it's very good. It's one of those things that like a lot of shit went down, but the best possible outcome happened. Right. That's I'm, I still uh. don't even I've been speechless ever since you said <laughs> 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 I, that had fallen apart from what I read was um, Cronenberg said that he didn't want to do any of the scenes that took place in restaurants. Yeah. Or clubs. And he didn't want to film the violence. And Brett Easton Ellis is obviously is like, well, then this isn't going to work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He dropped out. They brought a new screenwriter on and it, it obviously just ended up falling apart. But there was, I mean, a, a slim window where we had a what, like 92, 93 Brad Pitt as Patrick Bateman. Yeah. Very... I, I like Brad Pitt, but not for this. No, no. It just, I mean, Christian Bale wanted it so bad. He right. got dental work done. Well, I mean, he sh he shows that he wanted it. I mean, in he, his performance. he was he like, shows. I like my teeth, but Patrick <laughs> Bateman was, yeah. would not be walking around with these teeth. Right. He fucking got new teeth to play. Like, well? I permanently. Because he was like, if I get caps, I'm going to have a lisp. Yeah, yeah. Patrick Bateman. I mean, it's just the commitment. <laughs> well? I don't, and then obviously bulked up. It's yeah, just, yeah. But he, he does weird shit with his body in every... I don't yeah. I don't see any doctor signing off on <laughs> no. any of it. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing, I know we have completely fucking derailed, but I read that he based Patrick Bateman on obviously Patrick Bateman in the novel. Right. Um, an interview that Tom Cruise did with David Letterman. Right. Where he said he was intensely friendly but had like nothing behind his eyes, yeah. which is chilling. 
you know the reality of that is that that is first of all not far off from the truth. No, oh no. Yeah. But you see a lot of celebrities that are far more image than person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I would put Tom Cruise in that category. I honestly, legitimately, this might be unpopular, but if you watch any interview with him, I would put Will Smith in that category. Yeah. Oh. I feel. I feel like that's a facade. Yes. He's just putting on a show. Yes. That's it. Like and Patrick Bateman is performative as fuck. Like yeah. there is yeah. nothing there. Yeah. And uh ironically, Tom Cruise lives in Patrick Bateman's building in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He gets in an elevator with them and he's like, I loved you in bartender. And Tom Cruise is like, it was cocktail. And then the last one was Nick Cage's performance in Vampire's Kiss. Oh, okay. And when you know that, when you know that watching this, you're like, oh, well, shit. Yeah. 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 All I see are the memes. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, back to the actual film that we did get. Yes. He peels off his mask and he, you know, basically says there's an idea to him, but not really. Mary Heron said that that was the most crucial shot in the film. Right. Because he's taking off a mask yeah. to reveal another mask. Right. Yeah, literally. And I'm like, God damn. Yeah, but it's fantastic. Not, it's not far off from the truth, though, man. Mm-hmm. No. That's the thing. It's like, fuck you. Yeah. Like some of the things that he says, I'm like, man, I can't even disagree with you, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like that. If you're if you're sad and you're just trying to make it through the day, mm-hmm. you're con- you're going to put that mask on all the the time no matter how sad you are and it's like damn that's really the way every all of you and your friends are you hate life all the time but you want to pretend to be happy in front of each other yeah i feel like the difference is like when we do that when we put on a mask to like exist for the day yeah there's something underneath it right oh yeah he's no he's just a mask Yeah, yeah which is kind of again frightening yeah but after he says that you know haunting and empty statement we cut to him stoically walking down the hall of Pierce and Pierce, the investment firm where he works. And despite his very serious face, walking on sunshine by Katrina and the waves blast in his headphones. I don't know why that was hilarious to me. I mean, because he, he looks so mad. <laughs> and it's and like, the- how can he be mad listening to that? The happiest song in the yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> When he gets to his office, his receptionist, Jean, played by Chloe Sevigny, remarks that he's late. He blames it on an aerobics class that we know he didn't go yeah. to <laughs> and asks for his messages. She informs him of a cancellation and someone wanting to meet him for drinks, which Patrick tells her to cancel. When she asks what to say, the reason for the cancellation is he tells her to just say no. So he's using 80 slogans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy Reagan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, this is the one casting that Oliver Stone had that Mary Heron kept mm-hmm. was Chloe mm-hmm. Sevigny. Oh, okay. It was the only one. I love her, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic. She's great. But Patrick then tells her to make a reservation at a restaurant for three for lunch, then a restaurant for two for dinner on Thursday. When she asks if that one is for something romantic, he laughs and is like, no, I'll make the reservations. Just go get me a mineral water. God like, damn. Yeah. She starts to leave, but stops to tell him that he looks nice today. Instead of accepting the compliment, he tells her not to wear that outfit again. She's like, what did you say? And he's like, don't wear that again. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I thought it was going to be one of those things where he didn't actually say it. Right. But he's like, no, I mean, no, yeah, yeah. Not. don't wear that again. He tells her that she needs to wear a dress or a skirt because she's prettier than what she's wearing. I did appreciate that she rolls her eyes at this. Yeah. yeah. And the phone starts to ring and Patrick tells her to tell whoever it is that he's not here before telling her that he wants her in high heels because he likes high heels. 
she's working, dude. Yeah. Like for real, that's that's no, your it's, concern. It's not- gross. And in the novel, almost every woman, he's like, my receptionist, Jean, who's in love with me. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so, he's just... He's so gross. <laughs> like, I can't stress it enough. But he, it seems like this exact style of boss was like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So prevalent in this era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fucking disgusting. But Jean leaves, and since Patrick is too busy to take any calls, he puts his feet up on the desk and turns on the TV. Does he work at all? <laughs> he doesn't. That's another thing is him and his friends, They you, we never see them working. <laughs> Not once yeah. in the whole film. They talk about having jobs (laughs) (laughs) but you never see them work that night a taxi drives down the streets of new york in the back seat is patrick and his fiance evelyn williams played by reese witherspoon now she was before mary herring came back cast as cameron diaz Hmm. i gotta be honest i'm not a big fan of reese witherspoon really i like reese i know she ever since you know when she got pulled over and she's like yeah. do you know who i am or whatever yeah that, why'd you give her that accent that, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> that soured me a little bit but i like a lot yeah. of stuff that she's in i don't okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't have a problem with her but i feel like she could have been interchanged absolutely I, I, it doesn't matter well she's barely in this i mean i feel no, like I know, you know but... if obviously she was made to cast reese witherspoon so if it was played by, you know, kind of a nobody, yeah. this part, you know, we barely see her. She has like yeah. three scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she was also pregnant when they were filming this. She was oh, three really? months pregnant. Really? And Mary Heron was pregnant when she directed this and during, you know, post-production and everything. God damn. Right, yeah. yeah. I thought that was pretty badass. Mm-hmm. But. She's sitting there talking to him and simply irresistible by Robert Palmer is just blaring in his headphones. <laughs> wow. His voiceover expresses his annoyance at Evelyn buzzing in his ear as he's trying to listen to Robert Palmer. But if you listen, she's trying to plan their wedding down to Annie Leibovitz being their photographer. Which is crazy. Holy shit. Yeah. She tells him that they need to get married already. And Patrick raises one of his headphones up to tell her that he just can't take the time off work. She reminds him, and this is something that was completely lost on me. I don't know if I ever noticed it until this time watching it. Hmm. That his father practically owns the company. Yeah. And he can do whatever he wants. That's kind of why I was like, oh, that's why he's not working. Yes. I was like, he's just fucking off. Exactly. That, that explains everything. Yeah. It was lost on me, except when I watched it to write the script for it. And I was like, oh my God, that yeah. makes so much fucking sense. That's why he fucking kicks his feet up. Yeah. <laughs> no, no calls. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? But she's like, your dad owns the company. And he snaps at her and says he doesn't want to talk about it. She tells him that he hates his job and she doesn't understand why he doesn't just quit. So he explains it honestly, because I want to fit in. And then he just puts his headphones back on. As the film goes on, I was wondering if it was less about fitting in and more about blending in. That's right. Yeah, that's a fair point. That is different. Yeah. Yeah. But they arrive at the Espos restaurant and Patrick's voiceover tells us that he's on the verge of tears because he's sure that they won't have a good table. Could he be more dramatic? <laughs> <What? laughs> fucking crazy. Well, if, if status means everything to them, then I mean, you don't want to get stuck by the kitchen and then the door's hitting you in the back. Uh-huh. Then your chair's wobbly and they want to put a matchbook on That was an episode of Sunny. <laughs> oh, no. no. <laughs> he's not going to sit on a pile of matches. Well... <laughs> <laughs> well as long as some as paul allen pays tribute with a right. good bottle of wine <laughs> i think it'll be fine but when he sees that they do have a good table relief washes over him 
They arrive at their table where Bryce waits for them, along with Evelyn's cousin Vanden, played by Catherine Black, and her boyfriend Stash, played by Park Bench. I just want to say I love their aesthetic. Oh, right. yeah. Stash has a very Robert Smith situation yeah. going on. I, I was going to ask. Because yes. I was like, is he <laughs> is somebody? Yeah, I was like, is he somebody? Or? I, I just thought, I mean, if I were in the 80s, this is who I would be hanging out with. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I would spend all dinner talking to Vanda. Yeah. For sure. But Evelyn introduces him to Patrick as artist, but Patrick doesn't say a word. Bryce hands the menu to Patrick before hugging Evelyn and telling her how awesome she looks. He kisses her cheeks and neck, but Patrick only looks over the menu, which is written in Braille. I would, I mean, I, I felt like it was a lot. <laughs> They're greeting with each other. Yeah. And Patrick's just like, well, what are we going to eat? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I don't know. But he's like, is this menu fucking metal? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's where I'd be kind of transfixed. Well, I was like, what is this shit? Yeah. Later, as they eat prawns and sushi, Patrick's voiceover tells us that he's pretty sure Bryce and Evelyn are having an affair. So he just doesn't care then? No. At the table, they are sitting close across from Patrick. She's not even sitting with him with Bryce whispering in Evelyn's ear. Patrick tells us that Bryce is the only interesting person he knows and that he's utterly indifferent as to whether Evelyn knows he's having an affair with her best friend, Courtney Rawlinson. That's why he doesn't care. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like we've all got. Yeah. (laughs) This scene is really early on in the novel and it takes place at Evelyn's like apartment Mm. and they all eat or whatever Vanden and stash like all of this just happens at her house Mm -hmm. and they all leave and her and patrick go to her bedroom and she's like brushing her hair and stuff and her and bryce are just his price in the book yeah Yeah. and paul owen paul allen is paul owen but anyway they're just openly like flirting and him talking about like sleeping with her and he's messing with her and they're giggling and he's like he like she's wearing a robe and he crawls under the thing and is like reaching up under her robe and stuff and patrick's just like haha yeah he's just trying to keep the conversation going it's very weird but they're fucking clearly having an affair right why would you keep he's like so that arugula salad yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bizarre like, what are you doing I don't, I don't know oh and uh oliver stone casting for courtney was elizabeth berkeley really yes yeah i prefer samantha mathis yeah but we pan over to courtney as you said played by samantha mathis who sits next to patrick patrick describes courtney as nearly perfect looking and says that she's usually operating on one or more psychiatric drugs can i say that being called nearly perfect is worse than being called ugly (laughs) (laughs) i don't think worse than being called ugly. uh, i I would rather someone call me ugly (laughs) Then, then be like, you're, oh, you're like, nearly. Oh. <laughs> I'll take it. Right. Yeah, I'll take nearly yeah, perfect for fine. sure. I will disagree to disagree. I'll be, I'll be the fucking runner up. I don't care. But the disturbing thing is that she's engaged to Lewis Carruthers. Lewis, played by Matt Ross, sits on the other side of Courtney, holding a piece of octopus with a pair of chopsticks. Courtney asks Stash if he thinks Soho is becoming too commercial. And before he can even answer it, it devolves into Patrick speaking on platitudes. There are more important things like us ending apartheid, slowing down the nuclear arms race, stopping terrorism, ending world hunger, providing food and shelter for the homeless, opposing racial discrimination while promoting civil rights and equal rights for women. Basically, a return to traditional values and moral concern with less materialism and young people, which, you know, really anti everything Patrick Bateman is or his friend group is. I feel like 
I don't know. Courtney's like, do you think it's becoming? He's like, well, let me fucking, I, you know, I can talk about the real issues. I don't know if he's trying to like show out. I don't know what the fuck this but is. But he's acting like, don't, don't ask me about blank. <laughs> let me worry about yeah. blank or whatever Price said. Like, yes, it seems almost like he's giving a political speech, right? Yeah. But it seems just like pure bullshit. Well, it's right. all, it's all platitudes. Like, there's no, we need to do this for this. It's like, well, yeah, like in war. It's like, like yeah, no, everybody. everybody yeah. yeah, I think we all want that. I don't know. I it was very weird. Kind of like he's just trying to one up his friend. He's just like, right. Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, uh-huh. check yeah. this out. <laughs> but Bryce laughs, choking on his drink, probably because he knows Patrick yeah. or you know knows him as well as you can know him. Hmm. Courtney blinks slowly, clearly stoned, and Evelyn just stares at him. Lewis tells Patrick that his tirade was thought provoking. I mean, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, thought provoking as to how the fuck are we going to do any of that? Yeah, sure. Later, Patrick withdraws a lot of money from an ATM. And when a woman walks past him, he catches up to her and tells her hello. When they're both stopped waiting across the street, she tells him hello back and they both cross the street. We immediately cut to Patrick at a dry cleaners arguing with dry cleaner woman played by Margaret Ma. Hmm. The man next to her holds up white sheets with huge red stains on them. Patrick yells that bleach is out of the question. These sheets cannot be bleached. He can only get them in Santa Fe. They're very expensive and he needs them to be cleaned. With a chuckle, he leans in and calmly tells the woman that if she doesn't shut her fucking mouth, he will kill her. When she reacts in surprise to this, he continues as if he never said it, telling her that he has a lunch meeting in 20 minutes at Hubert's with Ronald Harrison and these sheets need to be cleaned by this afternoon. But there is a jarring edit. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I'm saying I'm like, did was that just what he wanted to say? Because yeah. when it cuts back to him, it really is unnatural. Like that, like that, like we didn't just see yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Like an insight to him. Yeah. Right. But I did want to say when I'm talking about silently frightening, mm-hmm. it's that moment with the woman. We don't see what happens with them that night, but the next time we see him, he's got a pair of bloody sheets. Yeah. Right. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, and they're and acting like it's nothing. Your yeah. brain fills in the blanks. Yeah. Also want to call out the composer of the film. It is a guy called John Cale, who was a founding member of the Velvet Underground. Oh, shit. (laughs) And so I just feel like that. First of all, that music where they're crossing the street is very creepy. Yeah. Yeah. But later on, there's almost like some psycho vibes. Yeah. Yeah. There's like really tense like strings and stuff Mm -hmm. later. Yeah. yeah, It's very good. I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But he continues to scream at her that he doesn't understand her and calls her a stupid bitch. He's interrupted when Victoria, played by Marie Dame, comes in and recognizes him. She tells him it's crazy to come all the way out here for dry cleaning, but they really are the best. Patrick snatches the sheets away from the man and asks Victoria if she can talk to them. If they're the best, why can't they get these stains out? Victoria's like, what are those? And he's (laughs) like, oh, cranberry juice. Cran apple. I like how he gets more specific. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, not just cranberry. Cran apple. (laughs) He thanks her for talking to them and tries to leave for his meeting, but Victoria stops him. She says they should have lunch sometime, but he says he's always working. She proposes this Saturday, and after confirming that next Saturday is good for her, he's like, oh, well, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) He says he's going to see a matinee of Les Mis, and he's like obsessed with Les Mis in Mm. the novel, and I know there's like a framed poster for it in his apartment. Like, I, I don't know. I think whenever he's using the restroom, right. they got that really good shot of him in the reflection of yes. the... Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, it's got to mean something. Yeah. Oh, all right. Did you catch his look when he yes. leaves? He smiles and mm-hmm. thanks her again, saying he'll call her, smiling at her, and then the minute he turns away from her, like 
in a millisecond, his face turns fucking like evil and mean, and then he walks away. Yeah, it's like it's like it, it's blink and you'll miss it. Yeah, or that's just his face. I mean, it, <laughs> I the way I took it is I'm like, okay, Christian Bale is playing him with a very like thin veneer of sanity. Yeah, yeah. and the sanity is it slips yeah and the second he doesn't have to pretend he's like fuck it yeah he's like okay thanks and like the second he's not looking at yeah. her anymore it's like okay i can stop yeah. like i can stop faking which again silently frightening yeah. <laughs> back in his apartment patrick talks to courtney on the phone he tells her that since she's with lewis and he's out of town and she's having an affair with patrick and they didn't make any plans what could she possibly be doing tonight it's like okay yeah. <laughs> is that, he jealous he's enlightened yeah yeah wow. i mean I don't fucking know. On her couch with a bunch of prescription pills on the table next to her and a glass of wine in her hand, Courtney tells him that she's waiting for Lewis to call because he said he would. Porn is just playing on Patrick's TV as he tells Courtney that she's dating an asshole, the biggest dickweed in New York, a tumbling, tumbling dickweed. And she's like, yeah. (laughs) But she says she can't go to dinner. He insists saying that he was thinking of taking her to Dorcia. He's like, isn't he holding a... um, like a porn DVD yeah. in his hand. Yeah, and the title of it's not real. It was designed by the production. Uh-huh. But the title of the porn <laughs> is Inside Lydia's Ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them don't really. <laughs> it was. Uh, it Just was get straight to the point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very thought provoking. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, he's just reading it like it's a film. Like well, he's like, he, I want what, what yeah. genre is this? He's like, like well, what's the commentary on right? that? <laughs> he wants to know the story. Hey, I don't see a problem. <laughs> but the mention of Dorcia changes Courtney's tune, and he tells her to wear something fabulous. Patrick hangs up with her and phones Dorcia. He tries to make a reservation for two at eight or eight thirty, and the only response he gets is hysterical laughter. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. Yeah. After this, I would burn down Dorsey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is unacceptable. <laughs> that is unacceptable. I don't care how fucking rich. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but I just love how casually he says it when he knows goddamn well he's not getting a table. Sh- and yeah. yeah. I mean, it seems like this restaurant is like the shit. It's the, yeah, it's yeah. the place to be. Yeah. The place to be. Yes. <laughs> That night, he sits in the back of a taxi with Courtney as she details her day, facials, and shopping. When he's distracted, Courtney has no patience for it, and he tells her to take more lithium or a Diet Coke. He's distracted because what is Trump's... Like car or something goes by, he says. He's got this obsession with Trump. I think he's mentioned, I read, I can't remember, like 15 times in the Mm -hmm. novel or something. And if you look at when this is supposed to be, it like makes so... And who Patrick is trying to be, it makes a lot of sense that Trump would be his like idol aspiration maybe well i mean there's even little moments in christian bale i don't know if he used it as like a jumping off point at all mm-hmm. right but there are ways that he breathes when he does some of his lines that are very oh, trump man maybe <laughs> i would not even put that past christian yeah. bale and it's like you kind of miss the time when trump was just a racist piece of shit business yeah. owner yeah. not, and not uh, former president yeah. <laughs> 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 like let's go back to the 80s guys please But Courtney sadly says that she just wants a child, just two perfect children before nodding off. Yeah, she's fucked up. Yeah, she's gone. Mm -hmm. She wakes up already seated at a table in a restaurant. Incredulous, she's like, this is Dorcia? And Patrick's like, yep. But he's holding a menu that literally says Barcadia. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, he's doing, I guess, what he has to do. He's like, she won't fucking know the difference. (laughs) 
He tells her what she's going to have for dinner, citing the reviews of the meal from New York matinee. Slumping down in her chair, she thanks him. So one thing they had mentioned on commentary is that the food gets more and more abstract as the movie goes on. Mm -hmm. This is still within normalcy because peanut butter soup, as they say in the film, is actually a delicacy like in African cuisine Mm -hmm. and as well, I think, in some East Asian countries. And it looks delicious. I was going to say it sounds good. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, you haven't lost me yet. You have not lost me yet. I feel like the restaurants get crazier too. They do. Because there's one that he goes to later where I'm like, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) There's one that he goes to soon that I can't believe they're even in. Because it seems like they would never go to a place like this. We're probably talking about the same thing. Okay. (laughs) The next day at Pearson Pierce, Lewis thanks Patrick for looking after Courtney and asks him how he was able to get them a reservation at Dorcia. Patrick says that he just got lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Lewis gushes over Patrick's suit, correctly guessing that it's Valentino. But when he reaches out to touch it because it looks soft, Patrick smacks his hand out of the way and tells him that his compliment was sufficient. That made me laugh out loud. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's like, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing more at Patrick because even his thing is artificial. Right. He isn't just like, don't touch me. He's like, your compliment was sufficient. It's like, Jesus Christ. Like, he's just so fake. Speaking of his clothes, I know you said that there were a lot of brands that were like, we don't want to be in this. I read that his underwear, because he's in his underwear a lot, Mm -hmm. um, was supposed to be Calvin Klein. Right. And they were like, no. Like, they (laughs) did not want any of their shit to be used. Um Sarudi said that Patrick Bateman could wear their suits, but not when he was doing anything bad. Okay. Yeah. And Rolex, because in the novel, he's obsessed with his Rolex. Yeah. There are times when he's naked for flesh reasons and he will not take off his Rolex. Um, Rolex was like, yeah, y'all can wear it, but he can't. <laughs> so <laughs> Patrick, yeah, Patrick Bateman is not wearing a Rolex. Other people are. They well, would not let him what wear it. The fuck? Yeah, it's fun. Shit like that is funny to me. Like what you said about Apple. Yeah, it's like the fact that they think I'm gonna watch this and be like, he wears Rolex. Yeah, like I mean, it's just it. I don't. The thought process there is so silly to me. Right. I think. I mean, brands just get it in their head that they're like any kind of negative anything. Right. And we can't. I mean, I I get it, but if the main focal point is him. Hmm you're going to see something he's wearing or something he has. And it's like, that's badass. What is it? Oh, they're not credited or they don't. It's a fake company name. Yeah. Well, I can't, I don't know. Yeah, I could really it. buy that. Yeah. So fuck it. Mm-hmm. I'll waste $500. Oh, it's not real. Never mind them. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, it's like, it's, come it's, on, dude. It's almost like a wasted opportunity yeah. because especially in this film. Yeah. Patrick is despicable and disgusting, but right. he'd be dressing. He's yeah. rich. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. He always looks good. So it's not like, I mean, I just, I feel like it's a missed opportunity to be like, he's bad. He can't, I mean, it's, I don't, I feel like yeah, it's childish. he's got money. He can still exactly. buy what yeah. everybody else buys. I, I don't know if y'all know this, but there are horrible people that wear every label, every yeah. brand, every non-brand. Not Rolex. Not Rolex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best of the best wear Rolex. But they're interrupted by Paul Allen, played by Jared Leto. We've talked a lot about him, mm-hmm. have not seen him yet. Mm-hmm who walks in and addresses Patrick as Halberstram. Patrick's voiceover explains that Paul Allen mistakes him for Marcus Halberstram. The real Halberstram, played by Anthony Lemke, walks by, and Patrick says that it's a logical mix-up. They both work at Pierce and Pierce, doing the exact same job. They both wear Valentino suits, all over people's glasses. They go to the same barber, but he feels the need to point out that his own haircut is slightly better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. It is. It is better. Yeah. <laughs> 
Paul asks how the ransom account is going and still pretending to be Halberstram, he says it's going fine. So wait, we see Halberstram in the same room, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's within earshot and uh-huh. he's not correcting. Yeah. yeah. There are there's a scene in the novel where they all go out and Halberstram's girlfriend is named Cecilia. Mm-hmm. And he and Evelyn go out with I think it's Lewis and Courtney and Paul Allen and his girlfriend, Meredith, I think. And he's calling Patrick Halberstram the whole time. Yeah. And anytime that he thinks Evelyn's not paying attention, Patrick calls her Cecilia. And like he gets away with it. <laughs> I just don't, I don't get it. Because <laughs> no, Lewis knows he's Patrick Bateman. Yeah. yeah. But literally, Paul calls him Halberstram the whole night and nobody notices, nobody says anything. And he's like, right, Cecilia? Every time yeah. that she's not listening to him. It's crazy. But it's just, again, driving that point home. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny, though, because he asked how the account is and Patrick's like, good. And Paul's like, no, it's not. And Patrick's like, well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Paul inquires about Cecilia, saying that she's a great girl. And Patrick agrees. He's very lucky. Bryce and McDermott come in congratulating Paul Allen on the Fisher account. And he calls one of them Baxter. But that is neither of their names. (laughs) (laughs) Bryce invites him to squash. And in response, Paul pulls out his business card and hands it to him. And it's a fucking wrap. <laughs> Bryce asks if he's free Friday and Paul isn't. He's got an 830 reservation at Dorcia. Holy shit. Mm. He leaves and the men mutter to each other that he must be lying about his reservation. Patrick takes out his card and slides it into the middle of the table so that everyone can admire it. He says he just picked it up from the printers yesterday. And as they compliment it, he's very smug. (laughs) Van Patten takes out his own card and places it next to Patrick's. They are fucking nearly identical. Yes. But Patrick looks defeated. Bryce compliments Van Patten's card asking where he got his taste. And Patrick's voiceover is appalled that Bryce could prefer Van Patten's card to his. And he looks (laughs) he looks sick. Yeah. Bryce pulls out his card, again, nearly identical to the other two, and there are misspellings on everyone's card. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't care about that. And they're, yeah. all, and they're all vice president. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, I it's, wondered what, I was like, what, what is your job again? Yeah. What are y'all doing? All of them. And they all do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but Patrick is so upset that he's nearly out of breath. He asked Bryce to show off Paul Allen's card. I'm like, why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, go ahead, fuck me up, fam. I'm already at my lowest. <laughs> reluctantly Bryce does we get a huge close-up of the card again nearly identical to the other three but Patrick literally looks sweaty and even sicker well I mean I get it though there, there is slight differences slight slight differences but I but he looked like he was gonna fall yeah. <laughs> because you want to have the best shit and yes. then when somebody else is like oh yeah it's like mm, oh no that's and nice he, he uh, initiated the whole who's this bigger thing with the card right. like you what? started this because he thought that he had a better card he uh, did clearly, yeah. Yeah. he's like what the fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i will say i find this sequence i think it's amazing yeah because it drives that point home that we've been talking about the entire time about this conformity yes yeah. but to me it's in patrick's boiling rage underneath oh, yeah. it's he's in, struggling uh bryce's hesitation to show paul allen's card yeah. he's like i don't know if you're yeah. ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing i will say is that whenever we got new business cards for pod mortem the second i found out that we could get raised lettering we yeah, kind of lost our shit <laughs> that's so, what i'm saying <laughs> I, I get it i understand yeah it's important <laughs> yeah 
But when Patrick notices that Paul Allen's card has a watermark, he literally drops it on the table. It's like he doesn't have the strength to hold it anymore. Lewis is like, are you all right? Yeah. <laughs> Lewis points out that he's sweating and is like, what's wrong? But Patrick says nothing. Yeah. The funny thing I heard on commentary is Mary Heron said that they did this like 10 times. Yeah. And the crew was noticing that at the same point of every take, Christian Bale was starting to sweat. And she was like, are you a robot? <laughs> He can sweat on command. On command. Get the fuck. Well, Nobody can do that. Well, Christian Bale yeah. can. <laughs> He's, that's insane. Can he survive off like a banana peel a day or something? A cup yeah. of coffee and an apple for the so, machinist. Was the apple at least in a pie? Because <laughs> it might be then a little more manageable. <laughs> <laughs> for me personally. But that night, Patrick walks down an alley. He walks past a homeless man, Al, played by Reg E. Kathy. Dude, I was so surprised. Yeah. yeah I I was like, wow. That dude's a fucking badass. Yeah. I had completely... It's been so long since I watched... You know when you watch a movie so many times, you're kind of like, okay, I'm full. Like, <laughs> I, I, know yeah. that, I know it so much, I don't even need to watch it. Mm-hmm. I did not remember this being Reggie Kathy. No. no, there's honestly the cast in this film is so amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I always forget, like, I don't remember every single time I watch this. I'm surprised by Chloe Sevigny. Yeah. Willem Dafoe. Willem yeah. Dafoe. Yeah. Massively surprised. So it's just like, you know, sure. Yeah. Reggie Kathy's in it. For yeah. Why not? Two minutes. For two yeah. Minutes. <laughs> yeah why, why the fuck not? But Patrick walks past him before turning around and approaching him. He asks if he wants money or some food. And Al admits that he's hungry. And Patrick rudely points out how cold it is outside. He squats down next to Al and asks, if he's so hungry, why doesn't he get a job? Al says that he lost his job. And Patrick assumes he lost it because he was drinking. It's just, I mean. yeah. This whole scene is disgusting it is but then at the same exact time it feels like the bullshit reagan era politics for sure yeah yeah to where it can't be societal circumstances that led him here he had to do it himself well you know where victim blaming comes in because it's easier to say oh my god he was probably a drunk and he lost his job because he fucked up than to be like the reality of it a couple fucking bad decisions or not even decisions, bad circumstances happening to you. That's you. Yeah. yeah. So it's just easier to be like, oh, wow, I bet he fucked up big time. I'm good because I'd never do that. So that's never going to happen to me. And if you're wealthy and you blame this situation on their actions or their decisions, you don't have to help them. Yeah. Because I made good decisions yeah. and you made bad decisions. And that's why you're right there. And I'm over here. Yeah. So it's basically, disgusting. fuck Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we're all trying yeah, to that's say. That's the whole point of this movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he asks Al's name. And once he learns it, he addresses him by it, telling him to get a goddamn job. He tells him that his negative attitude is what's stopping him and he'll help him get his act together. This feels very, oh my God, you're depressed. Like, just think happy thoughts. Yeah. Like, yeah. This, that's what it's giving. Bootstraps. Yeah. exactly but al begins to gush about how kind patrick is and begs him to tell him what to do because he's just so cold and hungry he touches patrick's arm and patrick removes his hand and asks him if he knows how bad he smells finally he apologizes and stands up telling al that he just doesn't have anything in common with him why is he treating it like they're at like a business lunch yeah we just don't have a lot they're in like common. they're speed dating yeah, yeah this like, probably just won't work what is what is this attitude I don't, it, it, it's very weird yeah. yeah it's strange he squats back down and opens his briefcase al begins to thank him again and patrick asks if he knows what a loser he is he stabs al to death out of nowhere and when his dog begins to bark he stomps the dog until it dies too then he just stands up and walks away like nothing happened 
So I guess this answers the sheet question from before. Right. He clearly is a murderer. Now, (laughs) I'm starting to think that wasn't Cran Apple Juice. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I I just thought, I mean, it's bad enough what he's doing to Al, but then this situation with the dog really hurt. No, it's it's just so unnecessary. And I I will say, cinematography-wise, the shot of him walking away into the smoke, Mm. it's very... It is nice. Very nice. Almost Gotham City-like, but... (laughs) I just find this whole thing like very jarring because it's not like anything we've seen so yeah. far. No. Like you already know he's kind of a piece of shit, but you don't understand. And even the like inferring it with the woman and then the sheets and everything. Right. Like this is just it's beyond. And in the novel, he like stabs a knife into his eye. It's oh, it's God. It's, oh, it's awful. Yeah. It's really bad. It seems like <laughs> some of the things written in the novel were kind of coming from a place of you know just because you can doesn't mean you should right oh but he did though yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah no it's it's a lot but right on the heels of that we immediately cut to patrick getting a facial the facialist played by jessica Lau, tells him what beautiful skin he has and he says literally nothing in return <laughs> as he gets a manicure his voiceover tells us that he has the characteristics of a human being flesh blood skin and hair but not one identifiable emotion except greed and disgust He lies naked in a tanning bed as he says that something horrible is happening inside of him. His nightly bloodlust is spilling over into his days and he doesn't understand why. He's on the verge of frenzy and he thinks his mask of sanity is about to slip. First of all, that's a frightening potential situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the word frenzy uh, is is particularly frightening to me. I would say so. And the idea of the mask slipping. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, what was last night? Yeah. 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 That way it wasn't (laughs) slipped then. But the idea of just greed and disgust being his only two, that feels like 80s, well, now, even now, Wall Street person. Like it just, they're trying to use this. That's the thing is this film isn't just like a, horror film or a dark comedy it's a social satire yeah yeah for sure and the next scene patrick is at a christmas party hamilton played by peter tufford kennedy approaches patrick and wishes him a merry christmas while addressing him as mccloy who is not yeah yeah you don't even have the decency to call me halberstrand (laughs) (laughs) damn it is bateman or halberstrand Patrick, though, points over to Paul Allen, who's chatting it up with Courtney, and asks if Paul is still on the Fisher account. Hamilton's like, of course he is. Evelyn comes over carrying a pig and wishes Merry Christmas to both of them. I had heard on commentary that they had seen an interview of a celebrity in the 80s that I guess had a pot-bellied pig, <laughs> and they were like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's just put it's it in there. It's just ridiculous uh, enough. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I... I don't. Can you just have a pig? Do you have to get special permits now? Uh, no, you can have a pig. Just have one. Yeah. I don't know, man. Pigs are cute. <laughs> they're. I mean, they're fine and everything. But those little pigs. Yeah, they're cute. I I like cats because well, first of all, cats love me, <laughs> but I can, I can predict their behavior. I don't know what a pig's about. I can't predict about. The pig. <laughs> I don't know a pig's temperament. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything about that life. But she scolds Patrick for being late, and he's like, "I was here the whole time." Yeah. <laughs> He says that she just didn't see him. And Hamilton's like, bye. He just leaves. Patrick looks disgusted by the pig. And Evelyn tells him that he's a Grinch. She asks what he wants for Christmas and is like, don't say breast implants again. And Patrick just fucking walks off. Yeah. <laughs> he goes over to Paul Allen, who is still calling him Marcus. Patrick says that he hasn't seen Paul in a while. But Paul kind of ignores him and calls over to Hamilton that he has a car waiting outside to take them to Nell's. Patrick tells them that they should have dinner. Cecilia would love it. 
Paul is down, but leaves as Evelyn goes over to them. Cecilia. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She asks why Paul was calling him Marcus, and Patrick's like, uh, mistletoe. He was. He's just letting that dude call him. He's like, mm-hmm, sure. I'd be yeah. like, no, yeah. wait. Why is he calling yeah. him? Yeah, I was like, we can kiss anytime. Like, what the fuck? In the next scene, Patrick arrives at a restaurant, Texarkana, where the restaurant is under the name Marcus Halberstram. This is the restaurant where I was like, what? What are y'all doing here? Yes, <laughs> it seemed like a themed restaurant. It does. Yeah, that they would not be caught no. dead in. He's led over to his table where Paul is already sitting and berating the waiter, played by Glenn Mark Silot, and insulting the nearly empty restaurant. Patrick follows suit and is also rude to the server. They order their drinks and send him away. I'm, it's so ridiculous. The waiter's like, do you want to hear the specials? And he's like, not if you want to keep your spleen. Yeah. <laughs> the, way, the way he says it, I don't know. <laughs> but I feel bad because the sir, he doesn't say anything. Yeah. Like, no. So I don't, again, I don't know if he's just saying this in his brain. Yeah. yeah. Or if the server's like, look, I get shit from these Wall Street yeah, fucks yeah. Yeah. all this the time. Yeah. yeah. This is the third spleen threat I've had, you know, today. If, if I had a spleen for every time. <laughs> <laughs> But once the server is gone, Paul continues to talk shit about how empty the restaurant is, but Patrick defends the food. Paul says that they should have gone to Dorcia because he could have gotten them a table there, and Patrick's like, no one goes there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) He gets distracted when he thinks he sees Ivana Trump, and then he's like, Patrick, why would you be, I mean, Marcus, why would you be here? (laughs) He's like, oh shit. Yeah. Patrick finally asks Paul how he got a hold of the Fisher account when someone else had it first, and Paul jokes that if he told him, he'd have to kill him. Paul laughs, but Patrick really doesn't. We cut to them eating, and Patrick tells Paul, I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? And in response to this, Paul, already kind of in the bag with the bottle of beer in his hand, compliments Patrick on his tan. Yeah. So again, there's that editing that's weird. Yeah. You're like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. It's jarring. Yeah. yeah. When Patrick happily tells him where he tans, Paul's like, oh, well, I have a tanning bed at home and you should really look into getting one. And the smile just completely fucking yeah. drops from Patrick's face. Well, if you tell me you like my tan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it, that he no only sense. said that so he could be like, I have a tan. Yeah. Bed. Oh, fucking jerk. Yeah. yeah. No, they're all horrible. They they're are. all awful. Paul asks after Cecilia and Patrick tells him that she's having dinner with Evelyn Williams. Paul's like, oh, Evelyn has a great ass, but she goes out with that loser, Patrick Bateman. What a dork. But when he's talking about Evelyn's ass, Patrick does that. Ooh, Ooh, (laughs) I was like, this is where the meme came from. (laughs) That face is so fucking funny. Was he remembering her ass or was he (laughs) it just seems so performative that he's like i mean paul's just like great ass oh yeah yeah. like i don't it's so funny he's sitting there letting him say stupid shit about him and he's just like no yeah guy yeah Yeah, Yeah. he's like talking about your girlfriend's ass and being like what a fucking loser you are like and he's just like yeah do you want another drink man (laughs) (laughs) i think this is where i was starting to get a little confused because if he thinks that he's marcus Every interaction that he's had with Marcus has been with Patrick, so he thinks Patrick is actually cool, but then when he sees Patrick with Evelyn, he thinks yeah. Patrick's a loser. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's no. going on. I don't know. But we cut to them at Patrick's apartment. His furniture is covered in sheets, and Paul sits on a chair with newspaper on the floor underneath it, looking very bored. Patrick takes out the new Huey Lewis and the new CD and asks if Paul likes them. He goes on with his own opinions. <laughs> their early work was a little too new wave for him, but when their 83 album came out, they really came into their own. 
He leaves Paul in the living room and rushes to his bathroom where he puts on a clear raincoat. He continues to gush about the clear, crisp sound of the album. He stares at himself in the mirror as he takes medication that has no name on the label, only stating the pharmacy it came from and that it is prescribed to him. I would like to know what he's taking. Yes, I was. I rewound it just to look and see the label. I did too. And it just said, what, his name? His name in the pharmacy. Yeah, great. Yeah. That doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> on his way out of the bathroom, he grabs an axe and dances back into the living room. He says that some people compare Huey Lewis to Elvis Costello, but Patrick prefers Huey's darker and cynical sense of humor. He buttons up his coat and Paul asks why the style section is all over the floor. He laughs, asking if Patrick has a dog. Patrick says that he does not. He asks if what Patrick is wearing is a raincoat and Patrick is like, yes, it is, but gives no explanation. (laughs) He goes on, starting Hip to Be Square on a CD player, saying that it comes from their best album and this song is their undisputed masterpiece. He begins to dance across the living room back to pick up his axe. He tells Paul that the song is so catchy that many people don't pay attention to the important lyrics. They talk about the pleasures of conformity and trends, but they also describe the band itself. He's shouting over the music and calls Paul's name as he raises the axe. He's like, oh, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Paul turns around for Patrick to scream and bring the axe down on him. Blood sprays over Patrick's face as he screams at Paul. Try getting a reservation at Dorsey and now, you fucking stupid bastard. (laughs) He continues to scream and hack up Paul's body as Hip to Be Square continues to blare. Once finished, he calmly takes off his raincoat, sits down, and lights a cigar. We see Paul's body lying on the floor as Patrick just relaxes. But again, we see we don't see the impact of the axe. No. We don't see, I mean, we, we see him bring it down and we see the blood. And that's what I'm saying about this film being a feather. Yeah. Yeah. For what is happening in that scene, it is very tame. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen way worse in other movies. Yeah. For sure. He had it coming, though. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> oh, you got to take... Oh, he's yeah. <laughs> He's not going home tonight. <laughs> um, and Christian Bale improvised the dancing, all of that. I'm telling you, his little jig is the funniest <laughs> thing yeah. I've ever seen. He moonwalks back into the room. He does. Like, just the way he's talking. Well, yes, it is. Yeah. Like, he's just, like He's just the happiest guy on the planet. So then that switch into murder mode. Yeah. This is the moment that I was like, there's never been a better actor than Christian yeah. Bale. I mean, <laughs> like on a dime. It's it's impressive. I do like, and they said that this was an accident on commentary. When he asks Paul a question, <laughs> <laughs> the blood spatters only onto one side of his face. Right. And so as he turns towards the camera and as he's going to light the cigar and sit down, mm-hmm. some shots have him with blood on his face. Some don't. And so it's like this dichotomy of the Patrick Bateman. Dead. Right, Exa- right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you want to get. I mean, you know, and that's crazy, too, because in the novel, there's a woman that calls him Batman, just dropping the E from Bateman yeah. like, as, as a joke, as a nickname. Hmm. And it's like, I wonder if you would have told him when they were making this. Yeah. That he was gonna, I mean, you know, his <laughs> yeah. head would fucking explode in a matter of years. Yeah. Right? <laughs> just hold on. But I do want to talk about his apartment. I meant to say this at the top. Uh huh. They had said that they had kind of designed it intentionally to be very cold, almost like photos from a magazine. I and yeah. it works. But the real thing was his kitchen, which they designed to look like a morgue. Oh shit! Uh. And when you look at it, it looks like a morgue. Yeah. I mean, his whole home is very cold. Yeah. And just I get like the minimalistic aesthetic but it's just like how do you get comfortable in there yeah well, if you're patrick bateman 
Yeah, he's well, he's never come to me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think that all the apartments are actually sets that they built in Toronto. Oh, wow. And they had said that they had actually been protested whenever they were filming in Toronto because I guess they had found a copy of the novel uh, in Paul Bernardo's house. They did, and they... I can't remember... I, I don't want to say Stephen King. I can't remember what other horror writer but he had he had this book and he had another book and people were like see it's fine that's not why paul bernardo no he was a disgusting it's not that he read american psycho and was like oh i'm, I'm going crazy <laughs> like that's not that is so fucking stupid no i hate it but he, def- he he did have the yeah. book. <laughs> they actually said that it was her copy of it she loved shit like that but so i mean and it really doesn't matter because they would have done this shit anyway i know yeah. like i've i've that case is disgusting. Oh yeah. But even as a teenager, um, Carla Hamolka was very into shit like that. Horror books, horror movies, everything that I've seen people talking about them. There's some movie I'm, I feel dumb cause I can't remember what it's called. I've never seen it. It's some movie with Kevin Bacon where he's a rapist and no, not hollow man. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and that was another, well, I mean, the war- those were, that's not a warning sign no. that she loved that movie or that she read fucking Stephen King and Brett Easton Ellis. I, I, that drives me nuts. I think that's one thing that makes it very difficult for me watching the movie is when you think of all the controversy the book caused and all the, even just filming an adaptation of the book caused. Yeah. And then you see the film and you're like, well, there's not... I mean, it's not well, even... Well, y'all hyped it up way more than what it actually is. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't I don't know. And it, even if it was showing a lot of the shit from the book, it's just art. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's... I, I don't want to say that's your problem, but... I, but, I mean... But dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> but we cut to Patrick walking through the lobby of his building, dragging a bag with Paul's body inside. He leaves a literal trail of blood, fucking Nightmare on Elm Street style, yeah. on the floor behind him. Yeah. But the doorman's just like, well, he's just sitting there. <laughs> Once outside, Paul hails a taxi and starts to put the bag in the trunk. But just before he can, he's recognized by Lewis, who's walking down the street with the woman who is not Courtney. So he's yeah. cheating too? I, d- I don't know. <laughs> I think everyone's fucking yeah. cheating. God damn. She's Gwendolyn Ichiban, played by Connie Chen. He asks Patrick if that's him, and Patrick is like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He tells Lewis that he's mistaken, but Lewis continues to introduce Patrick to Gwendolyn. He tells him that they're going to Nell's because Gwendolyn's father is buying it. Suddenly, he notices the bag that Patrick is shoving into the trunk, but instead of being horrified by the blood and the prospect of what could be inside, Lewis is like, where did you get that overnight bag? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a human side something in the bag. <laughs> Literally. But and you left a whole ass trail. Like you know the trail was on the sidewalk too. Yeah. It went all the way from the Yeah. Through the lobby. See, again, even in the disposal of a body, yeah. it's a matter of image and brands yeah. and Yeah. But never one to miss an opportunity to label drop, Patrick tells him that it's from Jean Paul Gautier before getting in the backseat of the taxi. He just couldn't leave. Like he just no. had to one more brag. He sounded upset with himself that he had to say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why am I like this? <laughs> Patrick arrives at Paul's apartment and his voiceover tells us that he used the keys that were in Paul's pocket when he disposed of his body. So I was like, what was that disposal like? What did yeah. you do with Paul's body? Yeah. Like, there's so many questions. 
But he walks in and is struck with panic when he realizes that Paul's apartment overlooks the park and is clearly more expensive than his. I love that the panic was about the apartment envy. Yeah. Yeah. And not that I got to fucking cover my ass because yeah. I, I murdered a guy. <laughs> I murdered a guy that I know Work that with. I just went yeah. out with. I mean, no. No. It's like, God damn it, this view is Look amazing. At view. <laughs> and this is when the music feels really psycho. Yeah. Yeah. And Mary Heron did say that Hitchcock was an influence, so you kind of feel it. For sure. But Patrick heads to the bedroom, grabs a suitcase, and starts packing. He ponders where he's going to send Paul on his imaginary trip and decides on London. Before leaving, he does his best impression of Paul on the outgoing message of his answering machine, telling everyone that he's going to London and telling his girlfriend that he'll call her when he gets back. He turns off the lights and leaves. Come on, man. Really? <laughs> well, like he barely did an impression. He did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, it just sounded like a happier Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But the next day in Patrick's office, he's listening to Lady in Red by Krista Berg on his headphones with his eyes closed. <laughs> he was fucking feeling it. He's vibing. Gene comes in wearing a skirt. And I was like, oh, Gene. Yeah. And nervously tells him that a detective is here to see him. Patrick says to tell the detective he's at lunch. And Gene is like, it's 1030. <laughs> he knows yeah. you're here. Defeated, Patrick tells her to send him in. He sits up at his desk and picks up his phone and immediately launches into giving an imaginary friend named John fashion advice about wearing bold colored shirts. Now, this is what I'm talking about, where this is a little taste of him being like, now you can't wear it with blah, blah, blah. This happens so many fucking times in the, in novel. the novel because all of his friends are like, well, what do you think, Patrick? Well, McDermott, what do you think about wearing uh, brown shoes with these type of pants? Or do they need to be black? Mm -hmm. Or, well, where are you going? What are the like that? That happens so fucking often. <laughs> It's exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, I don't care. <laughs> this isn't even a real outfit. Like this, this is all just hypothetical. They're getting a list together. I want to say they're writing a letter to GQ or something for fashion advice. And they're like, do you want, do you have any questions you want us to send in? Like it is bananas. <laughs> it's fucking insane. But in walks Detective Donald Kimball, played by Willem Dafoe. Yeah, it's Green I, Goblin. Yes. Yeah. Um, and in the Oliver Stone casting this was going to be james woods Ugh. i know yeah i don't know about i that. know no we love willem dafoe yes. yeah did you know okay so two things about willem dafoe that i did not know until i looked on his wikipedia today uh-huh uh -huh. number one he is from wisconsin that does not sound right <laughs> no i always assumed he was from europe but i was way off but his name is William Defoe. Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Willem was a nickname that he got in high school. The audacity oh, of this man wow. <laughs> <laughs> to just be acting like that's a real name. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's I think it's the translation from I think Dutch, if I'm not mistaken. That's hilarious. <laughs> but uh yeah, his name is William. I've never heard Dutch. it in my life except for Willem Defoe. That's yeah. the only time I've ever heard that name. Well, there's Wilhelm, but that's Well, yeah, that's a that's different name. <laughs> But Patrick continues to give advice about who to tip at the salon and how much and gets off the phone by telling John that T. Boone Pickens just walked in. I had to Google who this was. I guess he's another like, I almost said rich piece of shit. I don't know if he's actually a piece <laughs> yeah. of shit or if he was, but rich dude. Okay. Yeah. Own shit. So like a real estate. A Trump. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he was a piece of shit. But probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know what they say. <laughs> <laughs> Speak ill of the dead. Yeah. <laughs> But Kimball smiles at this and Patrick ends his imaginary call. 
Kimball apologizes, saying that he should have made an appointment and asked if the call was important. Patrick is jovial, saying that they were really just spreading gossip. The detective formally introduces himself and says that he knows that people in Patrick's line of work can get very busy. Patrick responds by sliding his Walkman in a magazine from the top of his desk to his drawer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it was embarrassing. He's like, yeah, no, I was doing yeah. a lot of business in here. <laughs> After just admitting to gossiping on the phone, it was yeah. just, it, that was very funny. <laughs> Kimball finally gets down to business. Paul's girlfriend, Meredith Powell, hired him to investigate Paul's disappearance, and he just has some general Paul Allen questions. Patrick offers him drinks, and Kimball declines, but Patrick still calls Jean on the intercom to bring him something. When she comes in with it, Paul slams down a coaster before she can set the glass on his desk. Patrick tells Kimball that he really doesn't know anything, and Kimball says that he thinks Paul's family is trying to keep everything quiet. Patrick derails the conversation again to insist on getting Kimball a lime for his drink, but the detective says that he really just needs his questions answered. He's so, like, I can get you lime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not a problem. I got the buzzer right here. <laughs> so is this all about keeping appearances? I think that yeah. he does not want to get into it. I oh, think yeah. that he's cool because he's like, do you want a drink? Do you want coffee? Do you want sparkling water? Like, he just kept... Anything to start deflect, yeah, deflect, yeah. Deflect. Anything, use the water, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anything to postpone these questions from coming, I think. Okay, that's fair. Did you see what they had said about the filming of this scene? I know something about the filming of all of the detective scenes. Okay, we're well, talking about the same thing, it's probably okay. the same thing. But on commentary, they said that they had shot three versions of mm-hmm. every scene with Detective Kimball. One version where Kimball thinks that Patrick did it. Right. One where he doesn't think he did it. Uh-huh. And one where he's not sure. Right. And so whenever they have all this footage, when they edited all the scenes together, they would use different bits from different ones. Oh, you can feel right. it though, because yeah. sometimes I'm like, oh, he knows. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wait, yeah. no, he doesn't. Oh, no, he does. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like. You're, you're feeling Patrick's takes. like paranoia. Right, yes. right. And I think I thought he was European because he said Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just realizing that. I always took him for an East Coast guy. Really? Yeah. Well, like, I could see that. Yeah. But Patrick answers the questions, his age, the fact that he went to Harvard, his address, which Kimball compliments. And, you know, it was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like, I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he asks what Patrick knows about Paul. And Patrick says that he really doesn't know much. Paul was about that Yale thing. He was probably a closeted homosexual who did a lot of cocaine. You know, the Yale thing. It's like, what? Look, I don't understand Ivy League anything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Yale, uh, it sounds like fun, except for the closeted <laughs> part. But... um. I did my true crime brain did the, you know, the the Metal Gear Solid sound because he's saying was. Yeah, is absolutely. He he was into that whole thing. Yeah. What? And, you know, Kimball's a good detective. But Kimball asks what kind of man Paul was. And Patrick says that he hopes he's not being cross examined. And Kimball's like, do you feel like you are? And Patrick's like, no. I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) This is where, again, the comedy is setting in. <laughs> yeah. No, not really. Not really. That's. <laughs> <laughs> Kimball asks where Paul spent his time, and Patrick gives a list of restaurants and clubs. He asks where Paul went to school, and Patrick is like, you already know this. Mm-hmm. Kimball admits that he does, but he wants to know if Patrick knows this. I laughed out loud whenever he said that he hangs out at the yacht club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kimball's like, he owns a yacht? And he goes, no, he just hung out there. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like an SNL skit or something. It's ridiculous. Like good, when SNL was good, I mean. Right. Yeah. But Patrick does know all this information. And he tells Kimball that he just wants to help. And then is like, well, there are any witnesses or fingerprints? I mean, like the... 
He's very obvious. (laughs) He couldn't be more suspicious. Yeah. No. Kimball says that there's an answering machine message that Paul is in London, but Meredith doesn't think that's true. But he has been cited in London, but that hasn't been verified beyond someone claiming to have seen him. But really, it was somebody else. Again, with this seeing people. Yeah. Yeah. When you're all the same. Yeah. And back to that, the scene with the business cards, Mm -hmm. when Patrick is talking about he and... Halberstram both wear all of her people's glasses and that scene so is Paul they all have these same yeah. exact pair of glasses on yeah so it's like I mean we're it, it's it's absurd <laughs> Patrick asked if Paul's apartment was burglarized and Kimball said it wasn't but toiletries suits and an overnight bag are gone Patrick is like are you thinking homicide <laughs> again <laughs> and Kimball's like not yet yeah it's just strange he says someone can walk through their life like normal and then they just disappear Patrick expounds on this. It's like the earth just opens up and swallows them. Calm down. (laughs) Yeah. Kimball admits that it's eerie. And in the silence that follows, Patrick excuses himself. He's got a lunch meeting with Cliff Huxtable in 20 (laughs) minutes at the Four Seasons, which, of course, Cliff Huxtable fucking the Cosby show. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? I mean, monsters hanging out with monsters. Apparently, It makes sense. It checks out. One thing that is interesting because you're saying everybody looks alike and everything. Yeah. One thing I did hear on the commentary was that they changed it from the novel because apparently Kimball was the same age as Patrick Bateman mm-hmm. and he kind of looked like him. And so <laughs> when... Too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever Mary Heron and Guinevere Turner were writing it, they're like, well, don't we have enough fucking doppelgangers yeah, in this thing? No yeah, no shit. And then they luckily found out that Willem Dafoe, you know, was going to be interested in the part. Mm-hmm. And they're like, look, we have a chance to cast Willem Dafoe. Yeah. You, you can cast can, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, yeah. Forget about the doppelganger bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Kimball's like, well, you're going to be late getting there because he says it's at the Four Seasons. And Patrick's like, no, there's one down here, too, which <laughs> <laughs> you can tell isn't true by the way that he says it. Mm-hmm. Kimball stands to leave and asks Patrick to let him know if anything else occurs to him, and Patrick agrees. They shake hands, and Kimball thanks him for his time before Patrick sees him out. We cut to Patrick's apartment, where a fizzing glass of water sits on the table next to a plate of fruit. But Patrick is on the floor, furiously doing crunches while the ending of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre plays on the TV, and afterwards, he jump ropes. Why not? Yeah. Great film? Yeah. I mean, I want to get in good enough shape to dance like Leatherface with a chainsaw. (laughs) (laughs) I know that this is supposed to be jarring, but I think that the three of us and a lot of people listening would just throw a a Texas Chainsaw Mask around and do our errands or our chores while it's on. I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. I was like, I love that movie. Yeah. The funny thing is they said on commentary that one thing you can learn from Patrick is that he is like he's a blank canvas and just does, you know, the mask situation. Yeah. So he uses videos as a way to learn how to do things. And so they were saying that he was watching porn because he's preparing for his date with Courtney. Oh. And then now he's watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, I definitely had had a theory about that that I never put together until watching this this time. time. Also, when he's jumping rope, he does a little crisscross things. <laughs> yeah. And that was all improv. He was just supposed to straight yeah, jump, yeah. jump rope. He's, um, I, don't, I feel like everything he brought to this is just like chef's kiss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that night, a woman, played by Kara Seymour, stands on a street corner. A limo pulls up and Patrick, wearing a tux, rolls down the back window to tell her that he hasn't seen her around here. He asks if she would like to see his apartment and she looks around saying that she's not supposed to. He sticks a hand out of the window with folded up cash and she decides to make an exception. This is another thing how his like wealth or even the appearance of wealth when it came to Al, Mm -hmm. the unhoused man, 
affords him these opportunities to victimize people. Yeah. Yeah. Because this woman is like, no, like that's a bad idea. But him flashing money at her. Okay. You know, and it's like, I know it's not the same obviously now because I feel like as a society, we know a little bit better, but I feel like back in the day, people thought that people with money were like good people. Yeah. Right. And so you feel like this dude's wearing a fucking tux. He pulled up in a limo. He's giving me money just to get in the car. Like, you would think this would be okay. It's just sad to me. Yeah. Because even Al was like, he's like, you know, we'll we'll figure out something. And he's like, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Like, you're such a good person. But I think that's kind of the thing of, I guess, the 80s in a way, mm. where it seemed like people who were well off, it was like they're idolized. Yeah. They're people we want to right, be. Right, right. Yeah. And, and surely nobody like that could be bad. No, now we realize that most of the time- It's the opposite. Wealth is wasted on the assholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But before she gets into the car, Patrick asks if she'll accept a credit card. And when she makes a face, he's like, I'm just joking. She doesn't have the Square app on her phone? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on her iPhone? Yeah. But she gets in the limo already looking a little bit annoyed. Inside, he gets on Zach Morris's phone and tells an <laughs> escort. To, I'm going to make that joke every time I get. Yeah. Well, you're going to be making it several times. <laughs> And tells an escort service that he wants a blonde in her mid-20s that will do couples. He keeps telling them that she has to be blonde before hanging up the phone. He tells the woman that he's going to refer to her as Christy throughout the night and that his name is Paul Allen. <laughs> Christy is down. In my mind, I'm like, so he's establishing Paul is still alive and in town? I guess so. Yeah. But that's not that conflicts with his alibi he tried to create. Yeah. Yes. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. Unless he's like, I'm Paul Allen and this is last Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before I, I left for London because so I'm leaving I'm for going London to- <laughs> <laughs> three days ago. It's, it's so I don't. It's like he half assed thinks about ways to cover his tracks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you even look for f- more than one second, it doesn't make any sense. Not at all. He had been doing well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, packing up overnight stuff, and I mean that was an alibi. Uh-huh. But although anybody that could that knew Patrick with the answering machine could be like, I think that's Patrick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's Marcus Alvarez. <laughs> <laughs> Back at Patrick's apartment, if you don't know me by now, by simply red plays as Christy sips Chardonnay in a bathtub. So this song has been ruined for me by David Brent. Yeah. So I can't even hear it anymore without. It's a good song though. It, it's a great song. <laughs> That music video was hilarious. It was. <laughs> Patrick makes sure she knows how good the Chardonnay is and then tells her to clean her vagina. It's it's jarring. Yeah. yeah. He like switches demeanor in seconds. Yeah. And this scene, he does it like 50 times. Yes. But as she does so, their third arrives and he tells Christy to finish up her bath, put on a robe and meet them in the living room. He's like, not the, I think the Bijan It's like, I, I wouldn't even Dude, know. Yeah, I, I would just on, come out naked. I don't know what the fuck you're telling me. I was scared on. for her. <laughs> because God help her if she yeah, put on the wrong yeah. fucking robe. But when he goes to greet the guest, played by Krista Sutton, he invites her inside and is disappointed that she's more dirty blonde than blonde blonde. He tells her that he's going to refer to her as Sabrina and make sure to introduce himself again as Paul Allen. <laughs> Christy comes out then in a robe and with her drink to me looking like she lives there. I don't know if that's what Patrick had intended it to look like. Well, he said if she did couples. couples. So it seems like this is his wife or girlfriend. 
He asks if they want to know what he does for a living, and neither of them are interested. <laughs> but he's like, I work at Pierce and Pierce on Wall Street. I don't know what that means. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> neither of them have ever even heard of it before. Trying to throw him a bone, Christy tells him he has a really nice place. She asks how much he paid for it, and he's like, actually, that's none of your business, Christy. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, what the fuck, dude? He's you, like, ask uh, me questions about myself. Yeah. Well, that's none of your fucking business. <laughs> it, but then he's like, but I can assure you. It wasn't yeah. cheap. <laughs> he literally this to me I, first of all i feel uh, very sorry for these women yes it's awful but this borders on almost like cringe no like, it's bad yeah it's hard to watch because it's just so awkward and i feel like there are moments here because he starts going off in a minute but there are moments where christy and sabrina look at each other like what the fuck yeah mm-hmm. like there's this shared like this guy is fucking weird between them yeah sabrina starts to light a cigarette and paul's like you can't smoke that in here again (laughs) yeah (laughs) you're really killing the vibe (laughs) Uh, but then he's like i'm not trying to get you drunk like but that the chardonnay that they're not drinking is very good Mm -hmm. but he says it like playfully right after he's like don't smoke any i mean it's like yeah let me keep up with one mood before you switch it up don't even know how to feel yeah but he gets up and puts on In Too Deep by Genesis. He asks if they like Phil Collins, but give neither of them a chance to answer. <laughs> Instead, he talks about how much he's loved Genesis since their album Duke came out. This is just like when he asked Paul Allen if he likes Huey Lewis. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, me. It's yeah. like, dude, why are you even asking? And he gives a whole pitchfork review. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. But he says before that, he didn't really understand them. It was too intellectual and artsy. But on Duke, Phil Collins became more apparent. He invites them to the bedroom as he goes on and on about the value of the song Invisible Touch, the group's undisputed masterpiece. But this is what I'm talking about in the novel. This is there's a chapter on Genesis that goes on for pages. Right. I just don't understand what's going on here. (laughs) It's It's a lot. It sounds like a real slog to get through. It is, dude. And I I feel that's why I'm like, I don't even know if I like it or if I don't like it. Like, I really appreciate the value of he's the world's most unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. He's a horrible person. He's focused on the stupidest shit. And so going through the novel through that lens, it's appropriate for it to be written that way. I think maybe it's just if this were like a novella Mm -hmm. and it was jarring and weird and jump. But like this being a full fucking novel, it is. It's exhausting, (laughs) dude. It's exhausting. There was a feature out on the DVD and one of the people like they had a talking head on there and they said, oh, the novel is terrible. Like, (laughs) it's like, oh, shit. I was just surprised they were so honest. I mean, it's it's a lot. But Christy and Sabrina join him on the bed and he still talks about Phil Collins and Genesis as he instructs them to get undressed and he sets up a video camera. He tells Sabrina to dance. (laughs) It's fucking weird and awkward dude yeah. like well she didn't come prepared no <laughs> but she doesn't miss a beat no. i mean what she a plays fucking for, weirdo she plays yeah. for keeps or <laughs> whatever the song says <laughs> but as she dances he tells them the meaning of land of confusion he says in too deep is the most moving song of the 1980s and starts to record them he continues to instruct them, and I won't go into details, but he gives us the over-the-top line, Sabrina, don't just stare at it, eat it. Oh, my God. Which is equal parts 
cringeworthy and hilarious i mean i don't know because he tells her to look at it and then he's like don't just look but, at it it's well, like what, the, well, what are you i think it's the, what do you want from he her? composure no not really i think I, thinly for, veiled i guess for me it's the back and forth between the phil collins discography yeah. Yeah. and then he literally says why don't you uh, get on the bed so Sabrina can see your asshole? <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, what? And then he's like, no, Sue Studio. It's yeah. like, no, dude, pick a lane. You are... I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed this very much. I thought it was the funniest fucking <laughs> no, thing. No, it, well, it is. hilarious. I'm just saying if you're in the right scene... Right now, it's hilarious. But no, like, uh, if you're one of these women, this is the weirdest oh, no, that's experience. Be, yeah. No, literally, I'm telling this story for the rest of my life. Yeah. If, this uh, is, if this is just what it is, it's sex and him going on about Genesis but, and Phil Collins. <laughs> that is a story that I will tell at every party I ever go to uh, forever. Mm-hmm. Right, but, this Paul Allen guy? Yeah, yeah exactly. Do you know Paul Allen from now, Pierce and Pierce? Yeah. <laughs> he did leave for London three days ago. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he was very clear about that. <laughs> but he goes to change the track to Susudio, and it plays as they show each other the flesh. Seemingly the entire time, Patrick is watching himself in the mirror, flexing and posing for himself while the camera records them. He couldn't care less about these women. Yeah. No. It's all about himself and the camera and even the matter of the camera because he's telling them to look at the camera. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's all a matter of like yeah, this well, <laughs> weird disconnect and like... At one point, I, I think it's when he's flexing and he's looking at himself in the mirror while he's having sex with Sabrina. Uh. Christy is laying on the bed looking at him like, what the <laughs> fuck? He's yeah. having a blast. And that's when he's like, look at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, don't look at me. <laughs> it's just like really, really awkward. They had said that I guess Mary Heron and Christian Bale had both gone like because this is very hard to film i would imagine right yes so they had both watched some porn right and they came to the shoot the next day right and christian bale had drawn up a bunch of stick figures (laughs) (laughs) of positions he thought patrick would try right and would think would be like interesting to do and so it's just made me laugh that that's what they chose (laughs) and these actresses are so game for what's going on Yeah. yeah like dedication is so we've talked about it a lot and if you don't give yourself to the role it's not gonna work no it won't and you'd be hard pressed to find someone giving themselves to the role more than Christian Bale no shit as Patrick Bateman he's having fun it's unbelievable I read that this was given an NC-17 rating Mm -hmm. and to get it to an R she had to shave off 18 seconds 18 seconds of shit. And I read that most, if not all of it, came from this threesome. Oh, okay. It's, I think it's funny to me because it's a matter of sex not being somehow being more offensive than violence. Always. Right. right. Always. The yeah. MPAA is just fucking yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. But after everything, the three are in bed sleeping with Patrick in the middle. Unconsciously, Christy's hand flops onto his arm and it wakes him up. He wrenches it away from her and is like, don't touch the watch. This in the novel, he goes, don't touch the Rolex. Oh, he's not allowed to wear that. Patrick, you're not wearing a Rolex. But now awake, he gets out of bed and they wake up. He goes to a drawer where he's got a coat hanger, scissors, scalpels, just a lot of instruments that are not there for anything good. And the music grows tense. Yes. They ask if they can leave, and he sternly tells them that they're not done yet. We cut to them leaving the apartment. Sabrina has scratches on her back and a bloody nose. She looks traumatized as Patrick hands her the money. 
Christy angrily snatches her share from him without looking back, and Patrick is utterly unfazed. He just walks away like, well... Yeah. yeah. Like, it's another another Tuesday. It's unbelievable. And, again, back to what we're saying, they don't show anything. Yeah. No. But we... But what, you know that something awful happened. Seeing the result of it is enough, and I think is honestly more jarring and shocking yeah. than, you yeah. know... But in the next scene, he's sitting in a restaurant with Van Patten and McDermott debating the importance of a girl's personality over her looks. Patrick sums it up with the line that they all laugh at. There are no girls with good personalities. <laughs> you know, whatever. I hate these fuckers. Yeah, they're <laughs> disgusting. This spirals into a disgusting and misogynistic conversation about women. Patrick chimes in to ask if they know what Ed Gein said about women. They ask if Ed Gein was the maitre d' at Canal Bar and Patrick's like, serial killer, Wisconsin, the 50s, <laughs> which like I know this is supposed to make him weird, but this is fucking me. So yeah. I like I, it's like I'm in this picture and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a ton of times like whenever somebody says he's, he'll say a serial killer's name and they don't know who it yeah. is. I'm like, you don't know who Ed Gein is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've had a steady diet of true crime for a very well, forever. long time. So. But he says that Ed Gein once said, when I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think two things. Part of me wants to take her out and talk to her, be nice and sweet and treat her right. And the other part wonders what her head would look like on a stick. Back to the steady diet of true crime. Ed Gein did not say this. Ed Kemper did. So he doesn't even know what the fuck he's talking no. about. Ed Gein would never say this. If you've read anything about Ed Gein. Yeah. No. And it he's, honestly sounds more like Kemper anyway. Yeah, man. he That motherfucker has some quotes. What makes me laugh is that after everything, he's like, no, I'll talk. Yeah. yeah. Like, dude, he, <laughs> Yeah, no. He's an open book. He is. And some of those pages are fucking yeah, awful. Yeah, we shouldn't be reading them. But I did laugh at the way that he shares this anecdote like it's just casual conversation. Right. Well, yeah, because after he says it, he laughs, but McDermott and Van Patten aren't laughing at all. No. Because like, even for them, they're like, Holy they're shit. Head. Like, yeah. Patrick. Lewis approaches them to get their opinion on his new business card. He unveils it and shows it off, but it seems like McDermott and Van Patten have lost their hard-ons for business cards. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because this was the shit a couple days yeah. ago. And yeah. he's like, hey guys, look. And they're like, okay, Lewis. Yeah. Great. And I'm sorry, <laughs> but when I saw the card, I was like, the indented gold lettering. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the best card because it Out doesn't... Of all of yeah. Them. yeah, but we're not talking about cards yeah. anymore, so... You missed it. But Patrick is staring at it intense ominous music begins to play lewis leaves and van Patten asks what they're doing for dinner patrick snaps at him angrily asking if that's all he knows how to contribute what are we doing for dinner they're all like oh like yeah, the <laughs> <laughs> mcdermott tries to razz him playfully putting a hand on his shoulder but patrick smacks it off and tells him that if he touches him again he's going to draw back a nub he gets up and goes to the bathroom in the bathroom, the tense string music continues as Patrick slowly enters and pulls on black gloves. I think in the novel they're Louis Vuitton. If of anyone, course. If anyone, you know, mm. cares. Are you sure they weren't isotoners? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know another killer. Who yeah. <laughs> who preferred them. Yeah. Louis is using the urinal and Patrick comes up behind him and wraps his hands around Louis's neck. Louis turns around and when he sees it's Patrick, he pulls up the sleeve on his coat and kisses Patrick's wrist. He's like, Patrick, why here? Like, like they both knew this was going to yeah. happen, but why here? <laughs> 
Patrick looks sweaty and horrified, and Lewis caresses his face and touches his lips. Lewis tells him that he's noticed Patrick looking at him, and he's noticed Patrick's hot body. I don't know why that line makes me laugh. I just want to say what an amazing love triangle this would be. Yeah. Because he's already... (laughs) Patrick's busy, dude. Well, in the novel, he comes up behind him to strangle him and lets him turn around because as he's strangling him, he wants to say, I'm fucking Courtney. That's what he wants to do. I don't know. Why are you trying to add? (laughs) It just seems very like childish because Lewis is banging that other lady. Yeah. So it's like potentially we don't know that Lewis is like, I don't care. (laughs) Just slowly dying. (laughs) But he tells him not to be shy and says that he's wanted this ever since that one Christmas party when Patrick was wearing that striped Armani tie. Without a word, Patrick goes over to the sink and begins feverishly washing his hands with his gloves still on. Yeah. Lewis tells Patrick that he wants him too, but Patrick just turns to leave. When Lewis stops to ask where he's going, Patrick tells him that he's got to return some videotapes. Amazing. Patrick stumbles into the restaurant clumsily, knocking into a server. He passes by his friends, but Lewis calls after him and gives him the motion that he'll call him later. Clearly upset, Patrick stomps out of the restaurant. Poor guy, man. He just wanted him to love him. I mean, he looked elated. He was like, this was only a matter of time. It's just, it's sad. Like when you think about prior scenes when he's sitting next to him in the thing and he's trying to fill the fabric of his shirt and he's like, compliments of, you know, (laughs) it's like you treated that dude like shit. And he was nothing but nice to him. Every Mm -hmm. scene that he's Mm -hmm. in with him. And he He calls him a tumbling dickweed. He did. (laughs) And he was over the moon because I don't know if you've ever had a crush on someone. But no, never. The, the, <laughs> wait, you guys are married, right? <laughs> no, but the moment you realize that you don't have to make the first move, yeah, that's it's just. Yeah. It, I feel Lewis's whole little arc is sad, but at least he didn't get murdered. Yes, yeah, he came very close. Yeah. yeah, but when Patrick returns to Pierce and Pierce, Kimball is already there. He's asking Gene if Patrick had any meetings with Paul Allen on his books. As soon as he arrives, he tells Kimball that he's been needing to talk with him and takes him into his office. Once in his office, Kimball asked Patrick what he was doing on December 20th when Paul Allen disappeared. Patrick's like, I was probably returning some videos. <laughs> <laughs> he consults his date book and says that he had a date with a girl named Veronica. Kimball's like, well, that's not what I was told. And when he starts to consult his own notes, Patrick's like, well, I could be wrong. Kimball flat out asks when the last time he saw Paul Allen was. And Patrick tells him that they went to see a new play called Oh Africa, Brave Africa. And it was just a laugh riot. What? I don't don't know. I want to know more about that play to know if he's being offensive. Is that a real play? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Quick Google search and it is completely fake. So he just pulled it out of his ass. It says on Urban Dictionary that it's an acclaimed New York musical. Oh, wow. Five-star review from yeah, Patrick it's, Bateman. Yeah. It's going to be my new excuse, you know, to get out of everything. Mm-hmm. But he says that then they had dinner at Orso's. He tells Kimball that he's had a long day and he's a bit scattered. Kimball tells him that he's all over the place too, but he would love to meet with Patrick in a few weeks to see if either of them come up with anything else. It's weird that Kimball is so interested in his story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking because these are all fucking, we've already, you know, established this identical dudes Patrick was clearly not close to Paul. Paul didn't even know his fucking name. Yeah. There's got to be a reason why he keeps coming back to this office. Mm-hmm. It makes you think he's suspicious. Yeah. yeah. But he tells Patrick that it would be very helpful if he could pin down where he was and what he was doing on December 20th. Kimball puts his notes back in his suitcase and shows Patrick his copy of the new Huey Lewis and the news CD. But I'm like, even if he's on to Patrick, he would have no way of knowing that. Yeah. No. But that, you know, 
was the last song Paul ever heard. <laughs> it's like, I've always wanted to kill someone. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Patrick? <laughs> but he says he's all excited about it because he just picked it up on his way over here and he asked Patrick if he likes them. All expression drains from Patrick's face and he admits that he doesn't really like singers. He likes music and everything, but Huey's just too black sounding for him. I, to me, I was wondering if this is a matter of like, it was just weird to me, I guess, that he is deciding that it's better to appear racist than it is to just say you like Huey Lewis in the news. I don't, I don't know, dude. I mean, I uh, guess even though logically Kimball would literally, if even if he knows this is the man that killed Paul Allen, mm-hmm. he would have no way of knowing that this is the CD that he was playing when he did it. Right. But I think him seeing that and remembering, he's just like, I need to go as far in the opposite direction from this CD as I possibly can. Couldn't he have just said, I don't like popular music? Yeah. Yes, he could have. <laughs> okay, just making yeah. sure. Because I thought that too. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. And then I thought I was, he's probably just trying to throw him off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was like, this is a very it, weird way. Why would you say that? Yeah. Like, I don't. But Kimball's like, to each his own. He's like, fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I just made lunch plans with this yeah. racist. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and he puts the CD away. They make a loose date for lunch next week and Kimball leaves. But we smash cut to Courtney's apartment where she and Patrick are smashing (laughs) i was proud of that that's pretty good (laughs) that's where the term came from right (laughs) but once they're finished patrick gets up to get dressed and courtney asks if he'll call her before easter he says maybe she asks his plans for the night which consist of dinner and a bar afterward she lights a cigarette and he remarks that he never knew she smoked courtney says that he just never noticed she asks him if they can talk and he just tells her that she looks marvelous he says there's nothing to say they both know she's going to marry lewis She calls his name again, and when he asks what, she tells him that if she doesn't see him before Easter to have a nice one. He returns the sentiment before grabbing his jacket and walking away. She calls his name one more time once he leaves the room, and when he asks what, she says nothing, and then we hear the front door slam. So we never see Courtney again? No. Uh, I don't understand this scene. Yeah. I'm going to be flat honest with you. It it just feels fucking sad. Like, yeah. I don't understand it either, but it, it's so sad. He was in the mirror the whole time, wasn't he? No, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, of course. So, I mean, that's, I mean, true to form. Yeah. yeah. But it's just weird to me, their interaction here. Mm-hmm. It is. Because there's no conclusion. No. Like, it's not like they see each other later and she's just like, I, I'm done like after the last time i just right, I'm, right. I'm done i'm gonna try to make it work with lewis like there's nothing patrick's like well it. lewis loves me yeah. all right <laughs> <laughs> so back the fuck up he's got a one-up everybody yeah <laughs> in the next scene we're at a club where pump up the volume by mars plays and again dancing fashion everything mm-hmm. people are on stilts and wearing angel wings and having a weird fucking fashion show thing it's amazing <laughs> The line for the bathroom is miles long, but Patrick and Bryce are at the front. Bryce is rambling that if you can catch AIDS from sex, you can catch anything, even dyslexia. The book opens on Bryce going on this rant. So I just want to say once again, I hate these motherfuckers. Yeah. But the thing is, is that this was originally filmed with the scene at the beginning when they were at the club. Well, it's ah, at the beginning of the book. Okay. And so I guess later on they decided to edit it because they thought the top, it was too top heavy. Mm. Right. And so this scene actually has them wearing the suits from the first club scene. Uh, <laughs> what a faux pas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they, the editor told Mary Heron that nobody would notice and nobody did. I didn't. Well, because so. well, yeah. they're all carbon copies the whole fucking yeah. movie. There's a there's a scene when they're at a club and Bryce like 
starts freaking out and runs through and jumps off a balcony or something like he like this dude is a fucking character on his own Mm -hmm. but i mean that doesn't happen (laughs) (laughs) no he just loses his shit in the bathroom here yeah but patrick informs him that dyslexia isn't a virus to catch and bryce is like prove it it's like okay dude how yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) but they go inside the stall and start doing coke Bryce goes first and says it's just sweetener. When Patrick tries it, he agrees that it's weak, but if they do enough of it, they'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> the way he says it. But if we do enough of yeah. it, we'll be okay. Well, he's like, it's just a little airborne. It's still yeah. good. It's still good. I'm going to let this ruin the night. <laughs> Suddenly, man in stall, played by Alan McCullough, pops his head over from the next stall and tells him to keep it down because he's trying to do drugs in here. It's like, so are we, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we fighting? Yeah. We're all here for the same reason. Hey, is your Coke stronger? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get in on that. Bryce tries to jump over the next stall and fight him, but Patrick wrestles him back down. Bryce apologizes and blames his behavior on the steroids he's taking. Good Lord. I mean, I guess that's one reason to use the bathroom. I thought it was for using the bathroom. No, nah. uh, it's funny because the line is so long no, yeah. and it's like yeah. everyone's yeah, that, just, uh-huh. <laughs> it's crazy. Will you hurry up? Yeah, we, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we've got drugs to do. <laughs> Back in the club, What's On Your Mind, Pure Energy by Information Society plays, and Bryce and Patrick sit back down with three blondes. They're Libby, played by Charlotte Hunter, Karen, played by Kiki Boutignol, and Daisy, played by Monica Meyer. Libby asks where McDermott went, and Bryce tells them that Gorbachev is downstairs, and McDermott went to go sign a peace treaty. Libby's like, but he said he was in mergers and acquisitions. Karen tells him that Gorbachev isn't really downstairs. And Bryce is like, yeah, he's not. He's at another bar. What like, the fuck? <laughs> Patrick tells Daisy to ask him a question. So she asks him what he does for a living. He tells her he's into murders and executions. She asks if he likes it. And he's like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, she's like, most guys who work in mergers and acquisitions don't really like it. In the novel, he's like, that's not what I said. Oh, shit. But just keeps the conversation going. Yeah. But in the movie, he's like, well, where do you work out? (laughs) (laughs) Again, it feels like in reality, he said mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. Yeah. But then in this weird in my brain thing, you know. But we cut to them standing on the sidewalk outside. Daisy asks Patrick if he thinks she's dumb, if he thinks that all models are dumb. And he tells her that he doesn't. She says she doesn't mind because there's something sweet about him before they get into a cab together. Is there really? Uh (laughs) I don't know, man. <laughs> Why is Evelyn trying to marry him? I don't Why know. Is, like, I, I don't understand any of it. And Gene clearly does have a crush on him. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't get any of it. He's got great skin and a good sense of style. And a better haircut. And than- a better yeah. haircut. <laughs> but let's be honest, his business card game is trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, Patrick is sitting in his office with sunglasses on and playing with a lock of blonde hair. So, yeah. Yeah. When there's a knock at the door, he stuffs the hair into his shirt pocket and Jean comes inside. She asks him if he needs help with the crossword puzzle he's working on. And we see that everything he's filled in either reads meat or bone. I laughed because one said bonist. Yeah. (laughs) He wasn't even trying. (laughs) He completely ignores her. So she sets a folder on his desk and turns to leave. He stops her asking if she would like to come to dinner with him if she doesn't have any other plans. When she confirms that she's free, he asks where she would like to go and insists that she pick. He tells her he can get them in anywhere. And after a moment of thought, she reluctantly suggests Dorcia. 
I this upsets me because she's so sweet and cute. Yes. And he's the worst human being. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the smile drops from Patrick's face and he's like, Dorcia is where Jean wants to go. She immediately dismisses it, saying they can go wherever he wants. But Patrick tells her that Dorcia is fine. He picks up his Zach Morris phone and calls the <laughs> restaurant and asks for a table at nine. The man on the other end tells him that they're completely booked. But he's like, OK, great. Patrick <laughs> ends the call and takes off his glasses, saying that Jean is dressed Okay. Gene tells him that he didn't even get a name for the reservation. And Patrick's like, they know me there. I laughed because the dude on the phone is like, no, listen. Like, yeah, not, exactly. We are. <laughs> <laughs> he invites her to meet him at his apartment at seven for drinks before they go to dinner. She starts to leave happily. But before she can make it out the door, he tells her that she needs to change before they go out. Asshole. Yeah. At Patrick's apartment that night, Jean wears a sleeveless beige dress with a sweetheart neckline. I was like, Jesus Christ. I'm talking, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking like Babin. <laughs> she compliments the view and calls his apartment elegant as he gets a sorbet out of the freezer. When he opens it to get the container, we see Daisy's head sitting on a shelf of the freezer wrapped in plastic. Why you keep that head, man? It doesn't do anything anymore. Why do you it have doesn't it? Do anything. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. And why are you having people over? Like, I, yeah, I don't, I just, no. I don't know. I don't know if the film is called American Psycho. He's a psychopath. No. Oh, <laughs> so, you're I mean, right. You're right. That might be why they had said that with, you know, with budget filmmaking, that was the other thing that kind of pissed me off is that after they brought Mary Heron back, they're like, well, you can come back and make it with Christian Bale, but your budget better not be over $10 million. And they were going to give Leo 20 on Just the for yeah. himself. So what the fuck, It's kind man. of infuriating. But part of budget filmmaking is the way that they accomplish this shot is they just had the actress stick her head through a hole in the yeah, thing. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> no, it worked. It looks, yeah. yeah. I was like, damn, that. I thought it was a, just a separate like yeah. thing that they sculpted. I would have never been able to tell. No. no, that that was actually yeah. her. Yeah. yeah. No. They said, just be very still. Right. <laughs> But he gives Jean the sorbet, and when she offers him a bite, he tells her that he's on a diet. She compliments him. He looks great. He doesn't need to lose weight. But he tells her that you can always be thinner and look better. Jean wonders if them going out to dinner will tempt his willpower, but Patrick says he's not very good at controlling his willpower anyway. Horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. He tells her to briefly summarize what she wants to do with her life as he goes into the kitchen and surveys a drawer of knives. Jean tells him that she'd like to travel, maybe even go back to school. She has so many possibilities that it makes her unsure. Patrick asks if she has a boyfriend and she tells him that she doesn't. She asks if he's seeing anyone seriously and he says, maybe, I don't know, not really, which is not an answer. Evelyn's ears are just, ah, yeah. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> he asks if she feels fulfilled in life and she does. He looks through a pantry filled with suspicious items, a chainsaw, duct tape. Jean is still talking, saying she's finally beginning to think about developing and growing herself instead of being so focused on her work. Patrick commends this, coming away from the pantry with the roll of duct tape. Out of nowhere, laughing to himself, he asks if she knows that Ted Bundy's first dog was named Lassie. Jean asks, who's Ted Bundy? <laughs> Patrick immediately stops laughing and tells her to forget it. Uh, what did that have to do with anything? Nothing. But he was tickled. By uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's trivia, man. It yeah. is. And how do you not know who Ted Bundy is? Yeah, I don't know. All over the news. He fucking All over the news. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That trial was one of the most ridiculous. Yeah. Him escaping twice. Yeah. It's the craziest shit on the planet. It really but is. When she asks what he's holding, he admits that it's duct tape. He needs it for 
taping something. This is the yeah. <laughs> he's just so suspicious yes. all the time. Jean asks if he's ever wanted to make someone happy as she starts to set down the carton of sorbet and the spoon onto the table. But Patrick snaps at her, yelling at her to put the spoon in the carton instead of the surface of the table. She's thrown off balance and he has to prompt her to ask her question again. Has he ever wanted to make someone happy? He comes out of the kitchen and stands behind where she sits on the couch. He raises a nail gun to the back of her head and says that ultimately he just wants to have a meaningful relationship with someone special. Before he can pull the trigger, the phone rings. The answering machine picks it up and it's Evelyn. She playfully tells him she hopes he's not out with someone else because he's all hers, her boy next door. She calls him that in the novel too. Mm. She continues that he never called her back, so she'll leave a message with Jean that they're supposed to meet her friends for dinner. Patrick sets the nail gun down and sits in a chair across from the couch. Jean eyes him as Evelyn continues to talk, calling him honey, then apologizing because she knows he hates that, then a long drawn out goodbye before hanging up. Already knowing the answer, Jean's like, was that Evelyn? (laughs) (laughs) Patrick says nothing, just looks angry. She asks if he's still seeing Evelyn and he still doesn't answer. She apologizes for prying and asks if he wants her to go. He tells her to go because he doesn't think he can control himself. She says that she has a tendency to get involved with unavailable men and asks one more time if he really wants her to leave. It's fucking sad. Yeah. He tells her that if she stays, something bad might happen and he'll hurt her. This is like really good writing because yeah. mm-hmm. we know what he means. Exactly. Yeah. But she's like, yeah, emotional, you know? Yeah. yeah. He confirms that she doesn't want to get hurt and Jean finally leaves, reminding him of his lunch date with Kimball on her way out. Very sad because on commentary, they said she reverts back to her job position. Yeah. The thing about the phone call, first of all, I don't know why he didn't just hang up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that's bad timing. Yeah. I was like, and why did you let it play? He the did. Whole, the whole thing. The whole, yeah. It's like, I love you because you're my fiance. Yeah. <laughs> remember, remember? But I mean, the phone call, obviously, it broke Gene's heart, but it also saved her fucking life. It did. Oh, yeah. Because it kind of pulled him out of whatever mood he was in. Yeah. And it's for the best. The next day at their lunch date, Kimball asked if Patrick has any new thoughts about what he did. Patrick is holding a knife and fork like he's never eaten a meal before. <laughs> and when Kimball starts to talk, he starts shaking an insane amount of salt onto his yeah. food. Dude, I was watching him and I was like, Patrick, you are wet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's quite sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> he says that he had a shower and a sorbet that night. Kimball says that he's getting his dates mixed up because Paul's calendar and his secretary both said that he was having dinner with Marcus Halberstram that night. When Kimbo questioned him, though, he denies having dinner with Paul, even though he wasn't sure at first, but he has an alibi. He asked Patrick again where he was that night. Patrick asked where Marcus was, and Marcus was at a club with a list of men, including McDermott and Patrick. Patrick's like, oh, that, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> he must have got his dates mixed up. His date had to have been the following night. Kimball levels with him. He thinks Paul lost it a little bit and just took off for a while. Maybe to London and maybe not, but he'll turn up sooner or later. Kimball smiles at the prospect that his friends would have killed him for no reason. And Patrick forces a smile. So does Kimball just need a friend? Yeah. I know. He's like, do you want to go to lunch? <laughs> yeah. If you think this dude's innocent now. Uh, I don't know. Why are we here? I don't know. But this, this, uh, Patrick's entire behavior in this scene is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, he's just the most guilty looking. <laughs> like, why are you doing any of yeah. this? Mm-hmm. 
You would think that doing all that he's done, right. he would be a little bit better at the... Yeah, no, yeah. not at all. And it was the salt. I'm like, Kimball, <laughs> I'm like, look Jesus at him. <laughs> he's ruining his meal. Yeah. <laughs> but that night, Christy sneers as she sees Patrick's limo drive up. He rolls down the window and she's immediately reluctant because she had to go to the ER after last time. He promises that this time will be different, but she says no. He holds money out to her and asks that she just talk to him in the limo for a minute. He tells her she'll be safe with the driver up front. Christy takes the money and gets inside, accepting a drink when he offers her one and continues to promise that this will be nothing like last time. That would concern me because it started pleasant enough. Yeah, yeah it did. So is that where it's going to be nothing like it? or Yeah. Like, yeah. But again, the, it's the matter of money. Yeah. It's just sad. Very. It's this thing that he has over... I'm not going to say everyone because his friends are rich too, but... A, lo- a lot of people. Yeah. The people that he victimizes at the very least. Yeah. He asks how she's been and she tells him that she might actually need surgery from the last time they were together. Her friend even told her that she should get a lawyer. He scoffs at this and tells her not to. Instead, he writes her a check. As soon as he hands it to her, she sets her glass down, snatches it away and gets out of the car. She walks quickly down the street, but Patrick follows in the limo, whistling at her. When she finally stops and turns to him, he's holding out more money to her. When she reaches for it, he snatches it back until she gets back into the limo. Once she does, he tells her he'll give her half the cash now and half later. He tells her again that her name is Christy and they're meeting a friend of his named Elizabeth at his new apartment. It was a real Mike Inslin moment because I was like, she was out. Yeah, Yeah, man. (laughs) She was literally walking away. Just, ugh. But he takes her back to Paul Allen's apartment where Elizabeth, played by Guinevere Turner, asks her if she went to Dalton because she looks familiar. Christy doesn't even answer, just sits uncomfortably. And Guinevere Turner is the co-writer of the film. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Mm-hmm. I was I was wondering, too. I was like, did he really fucking go back to this dude's apartment? Yeah. yeah. And he's bringing yeah. people over? Yeah. I am Paul Allen. Yeah. <laughs> and what's the purpose of even being him right I, now? I don't know. Especially since Kimball is like, yeah, he'll probably be back. Fucking leave it yeah. alone. Yeah. yeah. Distance yourself from his name, his apartment, his everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, dude. I don't know. And Elizabeth knows him as Patrick, right? Yes. Yeah. So what the fuck are <laughs> you doing, dude? I don't know. <laughs> but Patrick puts crushed pills inside of a bottle of wine before pouring them drinks. In front of everyone. Yes. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Christy tells Patrick that this is nicer than his last apartment. I'm sure that cut deep. Yeah. He's like, it's not that much (laughs) nicer. (laughs) (laughs) Calm down. And asks where the two of them met. Elizabeth rambles about how they met, insulting the girl that Patrick was dating at the time. She asks how Christy knows him, and Patrick tells her that she's his cousin from France. Elizabeth is incredulous. How is it that he's so good at wearing a mask, but in any situation where he's required to lie? Yeah. It's like he's never spoken before. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. After remarking that the wine tastes funny, Elizabeth places a call to a drug dealer and is annoyed when he doesn't answer. Patrick tells her not to say where they are, but when she asks for a number that he can call back, Patrick's like, oh, we're at Paul Allen's. Why? Yeah, I, uh... <laughs> I don't know. He's just so bad at this. Yeah. Once she gets off the phone, she asks Patrick if he knew the guy at Pierce and Pierce that disappeared. And he's like, no. She asks if he has Coke or Halcyon, which I mean, I'm I know I'm my inner Bateman is coming out. Mm-hmm. But Halcyon is what Carla Hamolka stole from the vet that she worked at to drug people. So. So I'm not saying that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Instead. 
Patrick refills her wine and says that he really just wants to see the two of them together. I think he says, get it on. Yeah. yeah. It's like, he, what year is it? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, it's totally disease free. What? He's so fucking stupid. And awkward. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, but if someone tells me something is disease free, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it is full of diseases. Like, <laughs> you shouldn't have what to say that. What the fuck are you talking? Yeah. Oh, this drink isn't poison. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that drink is definitely at least 50% poison. Yeah. <laughs> But Elizabeth just laughs, saying that she's not in the mood for lewdness. She asks Christy if he does this all the time, and Christy doesn't answer. Patrick just prompts Christy to drink her wine, and she does. Elizabeth says that she's not into this, and he's making her feel weird. Her performance, not really saying anything, mm-hmm. is fantastic. Christy? Yeah. 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 I read that Mary Heron wanted her, her specifically to mm. play Christy. Well, she does a great job because this scene, she is so uncomfortable yeah. and suspicious. Uh, yeah, I was like apprehensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, a little funny thing that obviously she added in here, Guinevere Turner, she makes it a point to tell Patrick that she's not a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you went to Sarah Lawrence or whatever. Mm-hmm. In real life, she did go to Sarah Lawrence and she is a lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I thought that was good. Just a little cheeky. If I'm not mistaken... Kevin Smith called her constantly when he was writing Chasing Amy because he wanted her input (laughs) because he's like, I don't know that world. I don't know that life. Good for him for, you know, yeah, because you can tell when when somebody who doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about is trying to write. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Yeah. Pretty cringe. (laughs) But later we cut to her and Christy making out on the couch. Patrick sits next to them, telling them about Whitney Houston's debut LP as the greatest love of all by the London Philharmonic Orchestra plays on the CD player. And it is the London Philharmonic Orchestra because Whitney Houston said, absolutely not. They could not use any of her music. Uh, But when I'm watching the movie... I didn't know that it wasn't yeah, the greatest I, love of all for real. I was waiting on her vocal. Yeah. yeah. And it never came. And then I was like, oh, so that's what's going on. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even put it together. Yeah, I, I didn't I was either. looking at the um, soundtrack listing on uh-huh. IMDb and I was like, oh, shit. That wasn't even Whitney Houston. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like this scene works better with just the instrumental. Yeah, yeah. it does. I, I, I didn't think, I didn't notice that either. Yeah. That there was no vocals or nothing. I was like, this dude's a fool. Yeah. He's sitting there <laughs> talking about Whitney Houston. Elizabeth laughs at him listening to Whitney Houston until she falls off the couch. Patrick doesn't care. No. He goes on to tell them that The Greatest Love of All is one of the most powerful songs ever written. <laughs> the way this dude, he can't just like a song. No. He's like, this is the greatest song of the 80s. Like... <laughs> It feels like modern criticism mm-hmm. where something is either the greatest thing ever yeah. or the worst ever. He's There's no nuance. Absolutely not. But Christy is just staring at him uncomfortably. Patrick goes on and on. The song tells us that it's never too late to better ourselves. Since it's impossible to empathize with other people, we can empathize with ourselves. I don't think that's what Whitney Houston meant. When she wrote the song or whoever wrote the song, right. when she was singing it. <laughs> I don't think that was the point of the song. But for some reason, his interpretation of it is really touching him. Yeah. It is. Like he seems yeah, really. He's like, because uh, nobody can empathize with other people. Like, right, like, guys? Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> he's really going out on a limb here. <laughs> yeah. We cut to the three of them in bed together and flesh is being shown. While Patrick is preoccupied with Elizabeth, Christy slides out of the bed and starts to pick up her clothes. When Elizabeth starts to scream, Christy realizes that the sheets are becoming stained with blood. Patrick comes up from under the sheets with blood all over his face. Christy takes off, wearing nothing but her slip, 
running through the apartment. But when she opens a closet door, there are two dead blonde women hung up in bloodstained dry cleaner bags. She opens another door to find the words die yuppie scum spray painted on the wall with a bloody body and a ransacked room beneath. She runs away just as a chainsaw starts up. Still covered in blood and wearing nothing but white tennis shoes, Patrick comes running down the hall with a chainsaw. This is when I'm like, he was watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Was he just like, I'm going to try that out. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> that seems like a great idea. Yeah, that looked like fun. So this was something that was odd to me whenever I watched this throughout my life. Mm-hmm. I was like, when? Because it made me laugh that he had those white tennis shoes on. Right. Yeah. Because there's no way he'd be wearing that with his suit. Right. No. So, so it was like, what? But I watched it this time again. And you see when they're showing the flesh in the bed. Yeah. He's wearing those tennis shoes. So it's like... He was like ready for it. Yeah, he was prepared for this thing. Well, as soon as she slunk away, that's when he started attacking... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. It's like he knew. It's it's awful. ready. Yeah. But Christy runs until she finds another naked, bloody body in the bathroom. I don't know if this is supposed to be Elizabeth. See, this is the weird thing to me is that she had like, what, two seconds to slip away? Yeah. Yeah. And I did read that this naked body is played by Guinevere Turner. So... Um, I'm, they were in the bed when she yeah. I don't I don't know exactly and but that's the whole thing about this sequence completely because it feels like a surreal nightmare right yes. right because the way it's edited she's running through doors that don't really make sense yeah and the apartment it seems to like go on forever yeah. it's like a maze yeah so I don't know what's I don't know what's going on yeah. <laughs> but Christy slips in the blood and Patrick finally catches up to her he starts to bite her calf but she kicks him in the face and continues to run when he bit her I like what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) could not believe it (laughs) he's got to stop her somehow i I guess i guess i i I guess this is some kind of allude to the cannibalism i guess i guess i mean we get it explicitly obviously in the novel he tries to make a meatloaf out of a woman um after he does did you say ooh? (laughs) i like meatloaf (laughs) yeah (laughs) like half of that yeah after he does the the rat thing he bakes her bones he just bakes her bones Uh um i think i can't remember there's so much torture going on but Mm -hmm. one of the women while he's torturing her or when she wakes up he's eating another woman's brains and putting mustard on it and he's just eating mustard brains. yeah i don't know if that's safe yeah Uh, probably not yeah i wouldn't Uh, do it that doesn't sound like a good combo yeah (laughs) mustard French's is like, but you can't say it was French's. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> they can use it at the restaurant. Yeah, but, not but Patrick. Patrick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he screams at her, not the face. Christy finally makes it out of the apartment and does everything right. Screaming at the top of her lungs, banging on all of the neighbor's doors. She rushes down the stairs, but Patrick follows behind, revving the chainsaw. He stands over a flight of stairs and holds the chainsaw over the stair hole. Yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Timing it just right. He lets it go and screams. And from our view at the top of the stair hole, we see that the chainsaw has killed Christy all the way down on the bottom floor. She was almost out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, we see it jutting out of her side. We don't see it hit her. We don't see her die. We just see the aftermath of her lying at the bottom, having been killed. Yeah, again. It's not, it's kind of uh, the feather. Yeah. And it's so funny that they showed Texas Chainsaw in this film because mm-hmm. that's the method they're using. Yeah. Right. 
That was pretty dangerous too, though, to run naked and then what oh, that yeah. chainsaw wet waist level. Very close. Nah, there's. <laughs> no. I read that they said when they would take breaks from filming this, Christian Bale was just hanging out in the white tennis shoes and a sock, a modesty sock. He, wow. he was just hanging out with it. Well, Even, he was comfortable. Yeah, yeah, he didn't care. No robe, no nothing. So again, this feels surreal because she banged on how many doors? Yeah. He's screaming at full volume. Yeah, <laughs> yeah with a fucking chainsaw. With a chainsaw down the stair hole. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, man. It's they, a lot. They did say one thing, though, that was very interesting was the subversion of tropes in that a naked man is chasing the woman. Oh, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, so it's that's an a good interesting. Point. Yeah. In the next scene, he sits at a restaurant with Evelyn, using crayons to draw exactly how we saw Christy lying at the bottom of the stairs with the chainsaw in her side. It's when they were talking about making reservations earlier, they were talking about a place called Crayon, and I'm guessing that this is Crayon. I guess. Wait, okay. did Crayon? The restaurant was yeah. called Crayon. I didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say Crayola. No, no. no. Don't he has Rosart. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> But Evelyn does not notice what he's drawing. I'm assuming it's crayon because they have crayons and right. the tablecloth is to be drawn on. That is true. But how yeah. does she not see? It's right in front of her. I don't know. Her. It's right. Yeah. When she tells him she needs a firm commitment, he tells her that they've lost touch. She asks what's wrong. And he says that his need to engage in homicidal behavior on a massive scale can't be corrected because he has no other way to fulfill his needs. She makes no reaction to this. How can you not? Yeah. And the, he, his head is kind of like turned to the side when right. he's saying it. Like, it again, it looks weird. I just, I don't know. And it almost seemed like ADR as well. Right. Yes. So I'm like, yeah. what the fuck is uh-huh. actually happening? And no one can. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. But yeah, she doesn't react. He finally tells her that it's all over, drawing a big red X on his sketch of Christy. Evelyn apologizes for bringing up the wedding, but he tells her that it's done. They're over. Mm-hmm. She's like, but we share the same friends. Breaking up is not going to work. Patrick's like, well, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that. You can have all of them. (laughs) (laughs) They do suck. Yeah. Yeah. This is when Evelyn realizes that Patrick is not joking. She asks him to think of their past, but he says they never really had one. Astonished, she tells him that he's inhuman, but he assures her that he's in touch with his humanity. Well, okay. He says that he's sorry, but she's just not terribly important to him. She's like, don't you know who I am? (laughs) God damn it. This is when Evelyn starts to sob. People start to stare at them. She asks what he wants from her, and he tells her to stop making the scene right now. (laughs) Starting there. That's rough, though. How do you expect her to take it? You don't mean that much to me anymore. That's cruel. And abruptly, too. Yeah. Yeah. She continues to cry and Patrick is done. He gets up and when she asks where he's going, he calmly tells her that he has to return some videotapes. He leaves Evelyn embarrassed and trying to compose herself. It's a very thorough rental history. No. <laughs> yeah, <he does. laughs> that night, Patrick visits an ATM when a small cat walks over to him. He picks it up and pets it, but the ATM machine flashes the message, feed me a stray cat. Patrick's like, oh, shit, I have one of these right here. (laughs) He tries to bring the cat up to the slot. And when it obviously doesn't fit, Patrick puts a gun to the back of the kitten's head. Like the kitten's going to be like, all right, man, okay. (laughs) Like, what the fuck are you doing? I understand the urgency now. Yeah, Yeah. what are you doing? (laughs) Woman at ATM, played by Joyce Corbin, walks up (laughs) and asks what he's doing and tells him to stop that. In response, he shoots her. Hmm. When cop cars pull up at the end of the street, Patrick runs. I was surprised that the cops were coming. Yeah. Yeah. He tries to break into multiple cars, only causing all of their alarms to go off. (laughs) 
He continues to run until the cops cut off the street he's on with their cars. They get out and demand that he drop his weapon, but Patrick opens fire on them. It's a full-on shootout, but Patrick shoots the cop cars and they explode. He looks at his own gun with wonder when this happens <laughs> and just turns around and runs in the other direction. He's like, what the fuck? Well, it feels like an absolute fantasy. Yeah. I really want to know what pills he was taking earlier right yeah oh yeah or if maybe, maybe he's not taking them right now exactly because mm. i you don't really explode cars with a pistol very yeah. often you know not <laughs> not usually no he cuts through a building when the night watchman played by brian renfro addresses him as mr smith and reminds him to sign in patrick shoots and kills him yeah, he's going straight GTA. Like, yeah, I guess. yeah no just, joke. No, he tried, yeah, the he stars. He tried to steal three yeah. cars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he runs through the lobby and out the revolving doors just as a custodian steps off the elevator. He rides the doors back around in a circle and shoots the custodian too before running off into the night. He runs into Pierce and Pierce, which is nearly identical to the last building. But instead of a gun, he pulls out a pin and signs in after smiling at the guard. So was he, did he kill the other guard because he was embarrassed he was in the wrong building? Yeah. He's like, oh my fucking God, dude. And all, I mean, it goes without saying, very sweaty right. the yeah. entire time. The remainder of the film, really. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From this point forward, <laughs> just assume he's covered in sweat. Mm -hmm. He rushes to the elevator and begins to sob as the doors close. The shot of the doors closing over his face and him crumbling is like, funny because yeah. it's like this man is going through it mm -hmm. like and it's all your fault you did all of it yeah he goes up to his office and when he sees that there's a literal helicopter looking for him and it's funny in my script i have it's just like gta yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he hides behind his desk he grabs his phone and crying calls his lawyer and gets the machine and patrick spills all the tea <laughs> He tells his lawyer that he thinks he should know that he killed a lot of people, a few sex workers in an apartment uptown, five or 10 homeless people, an NYU girl he left behind a donut shop, his ex-girlfriend Bethany with a nail gun, the homeless man, and he just killed another girl with a chainsaw, but he had to kill her because she almost got away. There was someone else there too, maybe a model he doesn't remember, but she's dead too. And last but not least, he killed Paul Allen with an axe to the face and his body is dissolving in a bathtub in Hell's Kitchen. He's killed probably 20 people, maybe 40. He's taped a lot of it. He's shown some of the girls the tapes that he's made. He's eaten some of their brains and he tried to cook some of them. He begins to laugh hysterically as he says that tonight he just had to kill a lot of people and he doesn't think he's going to get away with it this time. When he said that he ate some of their brains, he gagged a little bit. Yeah. Because well, he's like, I was fucking, I, I was yeah. wiling out. <laughs> um, the stuff that he describes, his ex-girlfriend, Bethany, all this shit, this all happens in the book. Like, we, oh, we're right. with him when this happens. He also uh, kills a child at the zoo. Holy the shit. Fuck? At, like, a penguin exhibit. He kills a kid. Like it, it's, Just in public? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's. You want to talk about surreal? Like yeah. it's like how how is this how is any of this happening? Yeah. He sums it all up that he guesses he's a pretty sick guy. He'll see him at Harry's bar tomorrow, so he says, "Keep your eyes open." And he hangs up the phone. He summed it up like, uh, "I guess I'm a real jerk." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> guess you could say I'm a pretty sick guy. 
what are his legal chances here now? Oh. I mean, he, well, I mean, he called his lawyer before he got caught. I yeah, mean, but, a, I mean, if they he's rich enough to do a plea, he'll probably get probation. Probably. True, yeah. yeah. His dad owns Pierce and oh, Pierce. Yeah, yeah, he's fine. He'll be fine. You ever heard of it? Yeah. <laughs> I did hear on commentary they did like 15 takes of this confession. Good Lord. They said that it just kept getting better and better. Yeah. Because you're getting more frantic. Yeah. And so this was probably one of the last takes. It's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, it's fantastic. Because you're just like, holy shit. Because some of the stuff he describes we were there for but mm-hmm. other stuff is just like god damn dude you be doing yeah. that shit yeah and then but then with the weird feeling of the movie you're like well did you do that yeah yeah and then the fact that he talks about killing christy and doesn't remember that it the other woman was his friend yeah, yeah. and in all fairness i mean there were bodies in that apartment that we don't know who they are yeah, yeah. so what the fuck the next morning patrick takes a shower and dresses in a suit he goes to Paul Allen's apartment and very ahead of his time puts on a mask before going inside. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely empty. Everything is painted a fresh white and there are people talking in the living room. When he opens the closet where the bodies are hanging, there's nothing but paint supplies and a ladder inside. He takes off his mask in disbelief. The realtor, Mrs. Wolf, played by Patricia Gage, comes up behind him and asks if he has an appointment. He tells her no, he was looking for Paul Allen's place. Mrs. Wolf tells him that he doesn't live here and asks if he saw the ad in the Times. Patrick is like, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And Mrs. Wolf is like, we didn't run an ad in the Times and you need to get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> she played him. Like, what she the fuck? Yeah. Patrick asks what happened and Mrs. Wolf just tells him to leave without making trouble. So he does. On his way out, she tells him not to come back and he tells her not to worry because he won't. So are we to make of it that they cleaned the apartment and they're like, look, we got to sell this thing. Who gives a shit? Yeah. yeah. Or are we to take it and now that it never sus- happened? This suspicious ass dude is coming. Obviously, it's him. Get the fuck out of here and yeah. don't come back. Yeah, because oddly, she does not seem afraid of him. Yeah. She, seem, she seems annoyed by him. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But he was just here. Mm-hmm. Like they were. Wasn't it last night? time uh, is. yeah, yeah. I, don't I don't have a rolex to tell yeah. you what. Well, i guess two nights ago because he did go to crayon yes right. he did and then i mean i don't fucking know i don't know is that enough to clean up what he did <sighs> no Fuck, i don't know what, yeah. what we saw in there with the yeah, spray paint and the blood and the bodies there's no way i mean i don't know all right on the street patrick takes some pills and uses a payphone to call gene as soon as she answers he frantically tells her that he needs help she says he's supposed to meet Bryce, McDermott, and Van Patten for drinks at Harry's bar, but Patrick just starts to sob and calls her a dumb bitch. Yeah. She asks what's wrong, and he says he's not going to make it to the office this afternoon. She asks why, and he screams at her, just say no. She's obviously concerned, but he screams at her to stop sounding so fucking sad, laughs, and hangs up the phone. <laughs> Well, he laughs and he goes, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's just gone. Yeah, he's falling apart. Yeah. yeah. Jane hangs up looking worried. She goes into his office and starts to go through his drawer. She finds a planner. And as she flips the pages, the dates on the calendar go away and doodles start. Sweaty and frantic. Patrick joins his friends at Harry's bar. Wouldn't you be like, are you fucking okay, dude? <laughs> like he looks crazy. He does. But oddly, I just don't think they, they don't no. care. Bryce is on the phone trying to make a reservation and Patrick insists that he's not going anywhere unless they have one. It's like, that's what you're worried about right now? (laughs) He takes a look around and spots his lawyer, Harold Carnes, played by Stephen Bogart. 
Patrick asks if he got his message and Harold's like, oh, yeah, it was hilarious. He's like, it was you, wasn't it? He says how funny of a thought that Bateman could have killed Paul Allen and a bunch of sex workers. He then he addresses Patrick as Davis mm-hmm. and asks how Cynthia is. Patrick makes <laughs> no impression on I guess. anyone. No. Yeah. Patrick is confused. And when Harold spots someone else, he pulls him back before he can walk away. Harold tells him that the joke was funny, but it's unbelievable because Bateman is such a dork, a spineless lightweight. Maybe Bryce or McDermott would be believable. <laughs> That's fucked. <laughs> he tries to leave again, but Patrick tells him to stop. He admits that he killed Paul Allen and he's Patrick Bateman. Everything he said on that message is true. Harold is not amused anymore and says that he needs to leave. But Patrick pulls him back, telling him again that he's not Davis. He's Bateman. How does he not recognize him? He's his lawyer. Finally, he tells him to listen carefully. He killed Paul Allen and he liked it. Harold says that this isn't possible and it's not funny. Patrick says that it was never a joke. He calls Harold a stupid bastard and asks how it's not possible. (laughs) Harold says that he had dinner with Paul twice in London 10 days ago. Patrick starts to argue this, but he stops and Harold finally walks away. But in reality, it's like, you think I'm Davis. Literally. Yeah. You, you could have had lunch w- or yeah. dinner with anybody. Yeah. At Pierce and Pierce, Gene flips through the date book and the drawings get more and more grotesque and severe. Images of torture and sex and it's a lot. But they're like crude drawings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it they're looks, doodles. But they're doodles. They're doodles. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, there's something childlike about these drawings. Yeah. But they completely fill the pages of his planner. Back at Harry's bar, Patrick sits down with his friends to watch Ronald Reagan on TV. Van Patten asks where they have reservations. He's not hungry, but he'd like to have reservations somewhere. See, it's just about appearances. (laughs) It's so annoying. (laughs) Patrick busts out laughing, and when they ask him what his deal is, he says he's just a happy camper. Bryce says that Reagan presents himself as harmless, but inside. As he says this, the smile drops from Patrick's face, and his voiceover tells us, but inside doesn't matter. Bryce asks Patrick what he thinks about what Reagan is saying, and Patrick just responds with, whatever. Van Patten complains about his drink, but Patrick takes a long sip of his. He watches his friends laughing, his lawyer completely immersed in a conversation with someone else. His voiceover tells us that there are no more barriers to cross. All he has in common with the uncontrollable and the insane, the vicious and the evil, his mayhem and his indifference, he has now surpassed. He says that his pain is sharp and he doesn't hope for a better world for anyone. Quite the contrary, he wants his own pain inflicted on others and for no one to escape. After admitting all this, though, he feels no catharsis. We zoom way in on Patrick's face as he says that his punishment still hasn't been given to him and he has no deeper knowledge of himself. No new knowledge came from his confession. It meant nothing. We see a a sign behind him that says this is not an exit Mm -hmm. and... After this monologue in the novel, these are the last words. Oh, wow. Um, I guess, you know, kind of talking about everything he's done and even confessing to it. He's still here. Like mm-hmm. he's, there's no mm-hmm. growth. There's no punishment. There's no reward. There, it's nothing. He's no. just stuck in this banality sitting with his friends and complaining about drinks and bitching about reservations like nothing has changed and it's interesting because whenever he's talking about reagan on the tv he's basically talking about patrick yeah like completely about. and then the sadness of him saying you know inside doesn't matter he's like it's all the veneer it's all Mm -hmm. this materialistic bullshit yeah 
you don't feel bad for him, but it's sad. But you could. Yeah. If, if we didn't see all the shit he did. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> but it cuts to black in the credits roll. So what did you guys think about American Psycho? I really still enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is sad to see that like they're all the same mold. Like it's like that's. I don't know exactly like the, how to word it, but like it, like you see them, and then like like he's a piece of shit, mm-hmm. but because he he's got money, he's just doing whatever the fuck he wants. Oh yeah, his friends are the same way. Their parents are the same. It's like and and there's so many people that that's what they aim for. My mm-hmm. material possessions, my you know what I mean. I'm better than you because I got 17 cars. It's like okay, you can't drive them all at once. Mm-hmm. So what the fuck does that? What does that yeah. matter? Um, but that's how fucking people are. And it's yeah. like, holy shit, dude, this, I know it's satire, but it's like, no, that's for real. Uh-huh. And that's, that's what's sad. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it shows, I guess the emptiness of consumerism. Yeah. Yeah. When all that matters to you is what fucking shirt you're wearing. Yeah. What shirt he's wearing is my business card better than his. Like everything on the inside just falls to the wayside. To the point where we're indistinguishable from each other. Yeah. Like, so I much, don't even know your name. So much so that you can get away with murder. Yeah. Because you don't matter. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter, <laughs> you know? You've blended in so much, there is no individual self anymore. Yeah. yeah. There's no Patrick. It's Davis or Halberstram or just that dude wearing all of her people's like it's well, yeah i mean he even said when they were in the cab he's like i just want to fit in mm-hmm. yeah he's not happy doing all this shit but he's doing it just he so feels that like he, he has can, to. Yeah, yeah so he can be with his friends but you just look like them mm-hmm. y'all yeah. look and the you, fucking don't, same. you don't even seem to like your friends yeah right? no <laughs> shit he's like you can have them i don't even <laughs> <laughs> it's weird but i mean that's true of so many social circles yeah like you're keeping up with and trying to impress these people you don't even like yeah, yeah. So it's like, I mean, fuck. This film has a lot to say. It does. I have to ask, do y'all think Paul Allen is alive or not? When I was a kid, I didn't understand what was going on as far as all the confusion. Right. I think that a lot of shit happened, like the exploding cop car and him trying to forcibly insert a cat into an ATM. Yeah. I don't think, I think the cat's fine and I think that lady's fine. Yeah. But I I don't, I think Paul Allen's dead. You think he killed Paul? Yeah. Well, I know dude was like, I had dinner with them or whatever, but then why is this detective on my ass? Why are you calling me Davis? Yeah. You don't yeah. know who, yeah, you you don't know who I am. And yeah. then like you said, they're constantly confusing each other. You don't know you had fucking dinner with him, dude. No. That could have been somebody else. Because we've already seen him go to dinner with other people and them call him full ass other names and his be life. Like, yes. And he's just like, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, who's to say the other guy who's just like him didn't do the same shit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. I'm Paul Allen. No, yeah. We're having, you know, people are going to see us having dinner together. Exactly. They don't hear what you're calling me. And what's the deal with the status thing to where he's like, I can't correct him and say, I'm not Marcus Halberstram. Yeah. So what if Paul Allen was being confused for an even bigger person? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you don't, you just don't know. Or I mean, that guy was being confused for Paul Allen, who is a no, bigger yeah, person. Yeah. Right, right. So it's like, you know, it, if it weren't for all that confusion, I would say, okay, Patrick imagined all of this. Yeah. But the way that they ended, it's so ambiguous that it is possible that he did. Yeah. That's what I, I appreciate how ambiguous it is. Mm hmm. I, as a kid, I was like, oh, it was all in his head. No, yeah. no, no. I'm lying. As a kid, I was like, he got away with murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now I, I feel, I agree with you. I think it's a mix. Yeah. I think that he 
in his mind inflated, you know, his, I think that the first interaction with the sex workers, I think that that happened. Mm -hmm. Nobody died. I think he was very abusive to them. I think the second one, he was watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre and he might have just, you know, yeah. yeah. Did it seem like the tone kind of like the color a little got a little darker when they were kind of getting it on and then she got up to leave and then yeah. everything happened? Yes. So maybe they did do whatever and then they passed out and this is his dream. Could, definitely could be. Well, I mean, that makes sense that the house turns into a labyrinth. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah because and nothing makes sense. You no. can see the front door from where they were in the living room. Mm -hmm. And when she's running, she's there's a million rooms. Yeah. 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 And it makes no sense that he was able to kill Elizabeth in bed. And in two seconds, she's in the bathroom yes. on the right. floor. Yeah. Like, I just. Yeah. So it so makes I, sense. I feel like I'm not saying that he didn't do anything. I am kind of leaning toward maybe he did kill Paul Allen. Mm hmm. But I feel like, a, especially the GTA fucking, yeah, like that, yeah. that yeah. never happened. Well, no. I would even be willing to say maybe the thing with Al actually happened. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But come on, man. Like, I, I don't think the whole thing with Elizabeth and Christy, right. I don't think that happened. I don't think the GTA exploding cars and him killing the night watchman. Yeah. Like, it was just so, and nobody's talking about it every, the next no. day. Yeah, Everybody's yeah. just like, that's the thing. It, and, and it makes a lot more sense that they would uh, just sell off Paul's apartment if they didn't have to clear the corpses away. Yeah. Yeah. If he just took off. Yeah. So, I mean, it, or it's just, they think he just took off or he's missing or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's probably a mixed bag. I know on commentary, Mary Heron had said at this point, whenever it was the vending machine, the vending machine, <laughs> <laughs> the cat vending, the machine. Cat vending machine, he she had said, um, don't believe everything you see. Right. And when he's doing that, it's like, well, it's hard to believe what I'm seeing. Yeah. Feed so, me a straight cat. You know, yeah. I've yeah. used a few ATMs and <laughs> I've never seen some shit like that. You've never that. got that one? No. Never. <laughs> Thankfully. But I feel like that's really where we're like, again, we have this unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know, I mean, Patrick is kind of guiding us through this with his voiceovers. And I think the only scene that he's not in is when Gene finds his drawings. Mm -hmm. And I mean... That didn't happen with yeah. the ATM, but we no. saw it happen. So, I mean, that tells us right now that we're seeing shit through his lens, mm -hmm. whether he's overly medicated or under medicated or whatever's going on with him at these points. I mean, obviously, when he called Gene and is screaming and freaking out that he's really going through that. Yeah. But as a result of what? What actually happened? And when you think about it, the drawings, while they are quite troubling... Mm -hmm. they're not incriminating no no so i mean even that doesn't prove anything no yeah. so i mean it's it's very uh it's more ambiguous than what i had thought watching it when i was younger yeah i thought it was all real <laughs> i thought it was all fake I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's a fantastic film yeah i've loved it every time i've watched it mm -hmm. i just think that as an adult i have more of an appreciation for it oh, now. Yeah. definitely especially its ability to navigate through so many different tones mm -hmm. and i i want to say genres because there are scenes that are outright hilarious yeah yeah <laughs> so i mean it's impressive i'll agree with you that i i love it i've always loved it i love it for different reasons mm -hmm. the older i get the more i guess the more attention i'm paying you know what i mean mm-hmm I, I just can't say enough about Christian Bale. Yes. I read that they, everybody thought he was an American because he held this accent the whole time they were filming. 
And then at the rap party, he was speaking in his Welsh accent, and they yeah. were like, "Oh, what? are you preparing for another movie?" And he's like, "No." <laughs> As Christian Bale, right? yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess we can go into ratings. I feel like this is such an interesting film coming from a a very strange book that I either loved or hated. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's just weird that all the I guess emotions that you can feel watching this because I know and I know it's way toned down, but there is a lot of racism and homophobia and misogyny and just disgusting shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, we talked last week about how I was like upset about it's just funny that we're reviewing this and I'm like, yeah, so anyway, but the love <laughs> which I'm like, oh, what was the intent? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this is just delivered in such a way where it's like, wow, look at these pieces of shit. You know, mm-hmm, I feel yeah. like it's, it's more obvious that we're like, these are rich yuppies mm-hmm. that don't care about anyone or anything. They're callous. They're horrible people, but they have money. You know what I mean? Which Reagan era bullshit. Yeah. 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 And you're not meant to come away from this film thinking anybody's your hero. Absolutely yeah. not. No, there's no Gene. Yeah, and Gene. Kimball. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't have evidence of him being... He's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have evidence of them being bad people. Can't hold that against them. Right? Yeah. People can't help that. <laughs> but um, I feel like it's such an interesting conversation to have because I never understood the messaging about conformity and consumerism and how literally the watch that Patrick is wearing is more important than life like more important yeah. than the, literally the lives of people around him he was on the verge of tears because he thought he's gonna get a bad table yes. yeah <laughs> yeah but by the same token at the very least he's fantasizing about torturing people murdering right, right. People. i mean it's mm-hmm. just uh priorities man i, I guess yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what it all comes down to but i feel like this you know i set up at the top that it's very polarizing and I see, I understand why. Mm-hmm. I just feel like the reasons that you might be mad about it, you're supposed to be. Yeah. Like that, that's kind of the point of the film. And so you can walk away thinking that it's misogynistic or whatever. But yeah, we're sh- the light is being shown on that. And, you know, the dangerousness of it. And I, I, I it's a conversation starter for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the very least, if you don't want to go that deep, you can be like, how much of it was real? You know yeah. what I mean? Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think this this film is pretty brilliant and I really got to give it to Mary Heron and Guinevere Turner for being able to just sift through <laughs> the banal fucking exhausting novel pieces of the novel uh-huh. and give us this. I mean, yeah. it's incredible. If it makes you feel any better about kind of shitting on the novel a little bit from what I've read, Brett Easton Ellis does kind of seem like an asshole. Oh, good, because that novel is hard to get through. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've been holding it in, but it fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but all that to say, on a scale from one to ten tastefully thick business cards, I'm going to give American Psycho nine out of ten tastefully thick business cards. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's perfect, mm-hmm. but I feel like it is it's talked about for a reason and you should watch it. I'm not necessarily telling you to read the book, but watch <laughs> <it>. <laughs> and I will now open up the floor. 
I I was the same way. I was a little older when the movie came out, but I I was this. I thought really the same thing. I was like, "Fuck, he got away with all that shit." Mm-hmm. But I it was I was young, and I was like, "Oh, this movie's fucking hilarious!" And you know, he's <laughs> killing people, and I didn't understand what the fuck was happening. Yeah. yeah, watching it as an adult, and like you said, you see all the shit that's in it, and it's like, "Oh my god." I do appreciate this movie more and I do like it. Yeah, it's funny and a lot of fucked up shit happens. Mm -hmm. But you, like you said a minute ago, you're not here to like, man, these are my idols. Are these, you're like, these guys are fucking trash. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, it's like, oh my God. And, you know, it, there are people that are worried about shit like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, dude, come on. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't need new rims for your car because, so-and-so got brand new hubcaps or whatever. It's like, you don't stop. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? But watching this and catching all the little shit and then, you know what I mean? Uh, Finding out about the stuff this movie went through and it's like, God damn, you know what I mean? Um, I do enjoy this movie. Yeah, it's it's got its problems or whatever. But like you said, baby, I think it's it's, you're shining the light on this Mm -hmm. so you can see, you know, hey, this is, this is real shit. Yeah. These guys are out there and they're assholes. They're not good people. So for me, on a scale from one to 10, tastefully thick business cards, I'm also going to give American Psycho a nine. Hmm. Uh, The music helped a lot because (laughs) again, I told, like I said, I told your sister, I said, I felt like I was nine. Mm-hmm. I was like straight up. I was like, I felt like I was a kid again. The music is the so music. Every good. time a different song came on, I was like, damn, yeah, all right. <laughs> I was like, I remember that. I was like, fuck yeah. I was trying to figure out why the needle drops in this film worked for me, but we were getting so pissed off at Fear Street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the problem with that, which is a whole different thing, but Fear Street yeah. was like pumping it into you. They and were. was like, okay, stop, dude. Yeah, this yeah. was definitely more organic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we're at a club, so we're going to hear some. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I agree with everything you guys said. I mean, on the face of it, there's a lot of awful shit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. In this film. But again, it's a matter of almost satirizing these people. Mm -hmm. This is a group of people at a certain time. It's very specific in the satire. Mm -hmm. But it's showing you that like these types of ideas, this misogynistic bullshit, this racism, this homophobia, this consumerism, all this shit it leads to a bullshit life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a facade of these people. They fucking suck and we should hate them. And they're not people to look up to. This is no way to live. And it's also a horror movie where a guy like fucking. Yeah. yeah. Sidebar. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's a lot of things at once, you know, if you Google like Patrick Bateman, I think, a lot of stuff comes up about his fashions or his skincare routine or his exercise routine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, literally, y'all were not. No. <laughs> y'all, y'all did not watch that movie right. No. Because you're not supposed to aspire yeah. to that. No. This is supposed to be he something. He was even still unhappy. Yes. The yes. whole time he was unhappy. No matter how much money he had or he was sitting with his friends who were cool to or whatever, mm-hmm. he still, he was still empty. Yeah. And he, he made a competition out of life. Yeah. yeah. Yes. competing with all of his bullshit friends yeah. and it, it's it's pointless yeah even at the top it's fucking bullshit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i mean take from that what you will also fuck ronald reagan but <laughs> <laughs> you know what they say to speak of, of the, the dead. dead but i think this whole thing rests on the shoulders of christian bale 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He gives such an incredible and nuanced performance. If he were to phone it in at any moment, yeah. this film doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But he dedicate I again, just commendable. And he fucking was a method actor in a way that he didn't have to do this fucking Jared Leto bullshit. Yeah. yeah. You know? And then speaking of Jared Leto, he's in here and he had no idea what an un yeah, fucking dude. fathomable ridiculous human being he would become yeah (laughs) it's so disappointing i had such a crush on him from this from remember he was in fight club Mm -hmm. it's so sad what a what a piece of trash (laughs) (laughs) but the thing about this film is that the tone is just like so bonkers and fun but it's also awful and Mm -hmm. terrifying Mm -hmm. so it's just it's an iconic picture is all i want to say uh i can't really think of any negatives i think that maybe the devolving into such insanity like and in the snap of a finger yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe could have been a little parsed like maybe show some shit that isn't quite right earlier i don't know yeah but just suddenly he's putting cats into yeah. ATM. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's a it lot it does take a hard left yeah because yeah. he was just at a restaurant yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was coloring yes but i mean again i i think this film's great for me i'm so glad that we covered this film because mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun to talk about, even though a lot of the shit is horrible. Yes. But for me, on a scale from one to 10 tastefully thick business cards, I will be joining the both of you in giving American Psycho nine tastefully thick business cards out of 10. Ding, 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 ding. It's been a long time. It's been yeah. a very long time. <laughs> I think what sold it for me was him looking at himself in the mirror and pointing. <laughs> and I was like, he's having this fun. This one's for you. Yeah. It's not even like what's going on in the movie. No, it's it's like you're having fun making this shit, dude. Oh it's, yeah. yeah, just him, like he, because that that looks genuine like he's mm-hmm. really like fucking like this is silly as shit <laughs> but i'm doing you know what i mean and that was his idea <laughs> <laughs> well that's all from us at pod mortem what would you rate american psycho and what should we watch next let us know on twitter at the pod mortem be sure to follow us on instagram and like us on facebook be sure to follow each of us on twitter at blood and smoke at real streeter 84 and at travis and wh Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, when you lose your sense of self to conformity, your concept of reality may be lost along with it. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Yeah. Yeah. And make it quick, though, because I got to go return some videotapes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got to go to Dorcia's. Okay. Oh, you got a resume. Holy shit. How'd you pull that off? She's lying. (laughs) (laughs) I just put a big target on my back. (laughs) A special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Melanie Van Huston, Sophie Hodson. Anthony Jerome M, Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Mandy, Jennifer Perez, Pierre Lombard, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Andy Teague, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Linda, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Jonathan Booth, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rizak, Molly Gerhard, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggy, William Berry, Brittany Ramatar, 
Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Garrett Rogers, Jordan Roberts, Danielle Peralta, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Alex Schultz, Jordan Blevins, Michelle Moore, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexius Roberts, Dan Laveau, and Itzy M. Yeah. Thank you all. Yes, thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to say that we love and appreciate you all. And I say that with no reservations. <laughs> but you, you just know? said you had a table. Yeah. Well, 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 it is a, it's a different kind of reservation. You lied to us. Their <laughs> <laughs> bathroom sucks here anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I've heard. Damn it. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>